everybody to the kaiju transmissions podcast i am kyle bird it is my pleasure to be here with my co-host matt parmley how are you sir i'm good man i'm amped ready to go all right uh and we are uh with a couple of our favorite frequent guest hosts uh, in one corner, we have uh, our friend Tom. Yo, what up? Hi. And in the and and as as many of you know, uh, the three of us are big Godzilla nerds, uh, and of course, to keep us grounded in reality, I have uh, casual Godzilla fan Trev. Say hello. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, I, I was going to say I'm here to represent the normies, and then I realized there's probably no normies listening to this show, so <laughs> I guess I'm just here to be the antagonist. There so you're, you're, just, you're just here to ultimately get some death threats thrown your yeah, way. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, and you can you can hear that golden voice on the Days of Future podcast, uh, X-Men podcast, if you want some more, Trev. Um, and who doesn't, really? Uh, yeah, if you get mad at me after this episode, feel free to come and like laugh at me because I have to put up with Dark Phoenix soon. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> what goes around comes around, as they say. Um, so there's uh, a new Godzilla movie out now. The hotly anticipated. Oh, there is? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Godzilla, King of the Monsters, the third entry in the Monster Verse. Following Godzilla 2014 and Kong Skull Island, and that's what we're here to talk about. Uh, but first, I guess you son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. You I told me you. we were here to talk about sci-fi's Monster Island. <laughs> <laughs> Not I'm quite sure yet. I would rather. I'm sure Trev would rather talk about that, if I'm honest. Oh, yeah. Well, I haven't watched it yet, but yeah, even still. Yeah. It's it's not good. I'm sorry. Uh, I have watched hey, it. No, and no spoilies for that episode. <laughs> I thought it was... I, me, me and Tom have also watched it, and I thought it was fun. Mm. But uh, I, I believe the same group will be reconvening for that in the near future. Spoiler alert. Um, all right, so... Uh, the last week or so has been interesting in that uh, it's been like, well, well, Trev only would know this because he talks to us all the time, but for us Godzilla fans, it's been like watching like a slow motion car wreck because <laughs> this, this entire fan base 
just collectively had a meltdown. It, like, <laughs> um, I've, I've, I can't remember ever seeing uh, something go from such just absolutely unbridled excitement and anticipation into the mixture of emotions that that we're seeing right now i mean there wasn't a godzilla fan there there, i mean there were like three like like a-holes who were like dude i don't want to see it at all um who then still saw it anyways um but like everyone was excited about this and and then even the the wide range of responses that people have had when they like, when they have turned out to like this movie um, has just been insane. And, and the, um, the schizophrenia has been off the charts. (laughs) You guys like when they, uh, they're mad at Disney and Aladdin and Marvel. Kevin (laughs) Wendell Crumb right now. And, and the movie is flashing strobes in front of his face. It's it's been crazy, uh, and it the chaos started when the embargo was lifted on reviews, and like we, I mean, still I mean we're stuck in something like the forty forty forties percentile on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, did it go back up? Maybe I don't know. It's in the like the high thirties, low forties, probably still something 40, to brag about. By the way. Okay, it's right at 40, according it to It did Trent. go up then, because I think it was like at 38 one, at one point. Um, but uh, it, it the the reaction from the fan base is one that I don't think any of us are proud of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and if, if we're reaching any of those fans, please, for the love of God, like, sit next to, like, go, have an out-of-body experience and watch yourself, because, like... Let's calm down. These are Godzilla movies. We don't need to be calling anyone stupid and saying they shouldn't have jobs because they didn't like what is what we'll get what we'll start talking about. A, ultimately, a very silly movie. Uh, but I mean, the the level of vitriol towards critics is something that I don't think I've seen probably since Batman vs Superman. Uh, where like, not to this level. I mean. Because ever it was around for Justice League too, but it wasn't as I don't know. Everyone was already entrenched from BVS at that point, you know. Yeah, as I say, the writing was on the wall at this point. This is following two films that were better critically received. So right? Yeah, Skull I Island. More, and... I think this one was more of a shock to people. Yeah, the Skull Island in 2014, I think both topped out in the 70s or something with, you know, a very fair score that was still certified I think both fresh on 75 yeah. yeah um and this one that was not the case but i, I mean i we don't need to get too hung up on it I, I my sentiment is i i am inclined to defend critics in that nine times out of ten you read the the comments from people and it's like the, the critics all think they just they just are telling us what to do and it's like that's really not what a critic's paid for a critic is They're professionals who are paid to give their insight on a film for you to decide whether you want to see it or not. And I think everyone on this call has had, has read either negative reviews of something where you're like, oh, that actually sounds like it could be up my alley still. Or positive reviews where it's like, eh, this doesn't sound like my thing. That's not what a critic's here to do. They're not here to be mean to us. 
And Are you sure? <laughs> there's no reason. I mean, what we're doing right now, we're being critics. We're doing a podcast review I, of a movie. Everyone is a critic, but everyone hates a critic. So I this, think it's also important to remember that the, when you look at this Rotten Tomatoes debate, that those are all reviews that are full of nuance. And you need to actually go read the reviews and not just freak out about whatever that accumulative score is because that's not really telling you much like even yeah. some of the reviews that are marked fresh will have criticisms and some of the reviews where they ultimately put it as a, a rotten they'll they'll say like yeah i'm giving it a rotten score but you know what if you're a godzilla fan you're still gonna enjoy this or something so you're forgetting about the individual nuance of each i anyways. almost think the pull quotes on rotten tomatoes are the most damaging in a way yeah yeah, and 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 I totally agree. Like, I mean, we we've gone over this. Like, I don't know on this podcast necessarily, but we've all had this discussion before, where like a movie comes out to mixed reviews, and I mean, you could say this is coming out to mostly negative reviews, but they are like fairly decidedly mixed. I feel, um, especially you know when you look at the audience score is like eighty eight percent liked it out of like you know way more people it's a it, it's certainly a more mixed response um and we've talked about this before a lot of times we're like someone might give a movie a, a three out of five and be like i didn't like it but it's right up the the alley of this genre and that'll get counted as like a negative review and we'll read those reviews to each other and kind of go this doesn't sound negative or someone will be like, I hated it. It was stupid. Uh, was it for me? Uh, three out of five, and they'll count it as like a a, a positive review, you know. So like, it, it Rotten Tomatoes is there to give you like a a general sideways thumb that leans either slightly up or slightly down. It's not there to be like this is the percentage of the movie that is good. You know, like I, my it, favorite are still the people that talk about Rotten Tomatoes like it's a person. <laughs> Who cares sending, what Rotten Tomatoes it? <laughs> they're sending Rotten Tomatoes death threats. That that's always fun to see on the internet. So so yeah, it's 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 ultimately pointless and it's ultimately s- silly and like yeah, get over it. Like I guess I, I'll I'll make that point now. Like you're watching a franchise that is built off of entertaining children. Um yeah, that's not where it originated, but that's where, like, it that's what it became for most of this franchise has been about, like, entertaining babies. So just, like, get over it if critics don't like it. You know, like, get over it and get over yourself. Godzilla is yeah, serious think- business only. I think we'll we'll end up probably maybe in our wrap ups later when we kind of deconstruct uh, the box office, which I'm sure we will in this episode. But this, there's probably a bigger discussion to be had here that actually doesn't involve the critics, anyways, and it's more just about how this franchise is viewed in in America. And yeah. so uh, people need to just calm down about the the critic element of it yeah. because yeah, ultimately you also need to remember a lot of films we all love today. Uh, if Rotten Tomatoes had been around when they came out, they would have been destroyed as well. Things like the you know the thing. Um, you know, these classic uh, Big Trouble in Little China. These are films that are like critically eviscerated. And not that I'm saying this movie is those <laughs> at all, but <laughs> I'm just saying you really, uh, we've, I think all of us have always advocated find a few critics who you agree with because they seem to share your sensibility and just concentrate on them and don't worry about that, that overall Rotten Tomatoes score. I've always found Rotten Tomatoes to be 
not very trustworthy unless something is like 90 or above or like 20 or below anything there in the middle you just never know yeah well especially for us because we're also horror fans which i think yeah frequent listeners would know all of us sitting here are horror fans so and yeah it's always tricky there i i do think there's a further question that we're probably going to get into maybe after we talk about the film uh but really like what standard do we hold for a Godzilla movie and are our standards too low or are they too high or or what? But um, I think now it's probably time to get into the meat here, which is the actual movie, um, uh, which I think we have a decent measure of reactions uh, here between the four of us. Um, so a lot has happened since the 2014 movie that I, I think is important to kind of frame this movie and some of the things, some of the problems maybe that we have with it. First of all, um, the 2014 movie, I think the most common complaint was not enough monster action. Um, I don't necessarily agree that that was the problem. I think the amount of monster action was fine. I think what's between the monster action is the problem, because those characters, that storyline wasn't that interesting. So, we have that as the unanimous complaint. Following that, in 2016, Legendary Pictures is sold off to a Chinese conglomerate called the Wanda Group, and Thomas Tull has stepped down. And uh, in the ensuing years, it turns out he did not only step down, he's a... I mean, he might get some kind of honorary pay out of some of these movies that his name is still on, but he, he's basically been gone since then. Um, I was listening to an interview with the director of Pacific Rim Uprising, which came out last year, and he said Thomas Tull was around maybe at the very beginning of pre-production. Uh, and this movie probably got Michael Doherty on board around that same time, so he's been out of the picture for a while. Um, and... Um, Skull Island, I think we have all we all noticed has a lot of very clear China pandering, um, and also just the, the level of, I guess, tension building or anything like that is almost not it's non-existent. You know, it's monsters punching and then China. So those I think are two very distinct shifts in the tone of these movies since 2014. Um, and, uh, that is going to leak into this movie big time. Um, so I've blabbed a little bit, so I will elect Tom to give a plot breakdown. I am also going to preface this by saying, obviously this is a spoiler show full of spoilers. If you had not, have not had time to see the movie yet, see it and come back to us. Tom, give us the spoilerific, uh, synopsis if you if you okay. if you will yeah um so the movie picks up well, actually the movie picks up right in the middle of the climax of the 2014 movie um introduces us to um our two i guess most main human characters that of uh vera farmiga and kyle chandler um i'm sorry if i don't remember their names but they are just 
Vera and Kyle to me. Um, don't, worry, don't worry about their either, names. So. <laughs> uh, they are calling out, looking for their son, Andrew, as, you know, we see the halo jumpers coming <laughs> down from the... <laughs> you remember the dead kid's name, but not the two characters. They say his name like 18 <laughs> times. Okay, go on. <laughs> um... So they're 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 calling out looking for their dead son as uh whoops <laughs> dead son but no as the halo jumpers are coming down from the sky um it becomes pretty clear that this kid is you know buried under some rubble or something and is not going to make it um Godzilla comes bursting into the frame so you can get Godzilla in the first 12 seconds of the movie and then we cut to uh, more or less present day, it's been five years or a few years or whatever since the uh, 2014 attacks where humanity just lear- you know, has just recently learned that there are more of these things out there. They're called Titans. Um, and uh, that's all set in the framework of like a little news montage. Uh, then we get reintroduced kind of to um, the daughter of uh, Vera and Kyle, um, Millie Bobby Brown's character, um, who is also named something. Um, she's, uh, her and, and, and Vera are having a conversation, you know, the seems like, uh, Kyle Chandler went, you know, kind of absentee dad as happens when, you know, a child, uh, passes away that the family kind of falls apart. Um, he's off doing something. He's been trying to reach out to the daughter recently. She, uh, has been hesitant to call him back. Um, her and Vera are working on some sort of a device. Uh, we pan out to reveal that they're actually in the rainforest overlooking a, a pyramid. They go inside the pyramid and Mothra is born. Um, that's, that's, you know, really good. Everyone's really excited about it until their containment field that they've created to, to keep Mothra from, you know, breaking out and accidentally wreaking havoc of any kind uh, starts to fail. Mothra also kind of starts to get scared of all the commotion in her larval form, starts to kind of go berserk a little bit. So Vera runs out with her special device, fires it up, finds um, some bioacoustic frequency and calms Mothra down. Uh, the calm is short-lived as a terrorist organization led by Charles Dance blasts in and kidnaps the two and um, and then makes off. Um, meanwhile, the, the secret organization, well, not secret anymore, I guess, organization Monarch is being uh, held by uh, the Senate, the U.S. Senate, under some kind of judicial or whatever committee uh, to explain themselves and explain why they should be allowed to continue to operate independently when Dr. Sarazawa gets the call that Vera Farmiga has been kidnapped and he goes and collects Kyle Chandler along with um, Sally Hawkins and Thomas Middleditch. They go and um, also during this scene, we learn that the Muto's faces are their penises. Um, <laughs> but they go and they get Kyle Chandler. They um, they 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 kind of fill him in. Your wife and daughter have been kidnapped, and so they have to go find them. Um, they take him to their secret super underground base called Castle Bravo. Uh, it's an underwater base that they use to study Godzilla. Um, while they're there, Godzilla has like a freak out. Um, he maybe read some reviews of the movie. Um, he gets pretty pissed off. He goes on an intimidation display um, and then he kind of takes off. They chart his course and they realize he's heading towards Antarctica. Um 
Kyle Chandler is like, great, let's follow him. He's obviously heading off after the Orca, this this device that can, you know, use the bioacoustics of the monsters, um, which ostensibly is the reason that Kyle Chandler has been brought aboard is he can track it if he can figure out all the pieces of the bioacoustics that went into making it. It can help him figure out how to pinpoint its location. Um, I know it doesn't make sense, but that's what it, it, that's what it is. Um, so he. He's like, let's go. And everyone's like, I'm, yeah. and he's like, well, what's what the hell? Why can't we just go? And they explain that then we see uh, in Antarctica, there's a monarch base and buried in the ice is King Ghidorah. They, they call him Monster Zero. Um, they don't really know anything about this kaiju. He's just been recently found. They really just know that he was some sort of an alpha rival to Godzilla. Um, so they've been hesitant to really kind of put this out on the books because all that's all they know is that he was like a, an alpha who could kind of command the other Titans maybe. Um, but they go take off to try and stop, uh, Charles dance from whatever nefariousness he's doing. He's been collecting Kaiju or Titan DNA. Uh, they don't know what he's using it for exactly, but they're going to go stop him. Uh, they get there too late. Ghidorah is awoken. Um, he munches up Sally Hawkins because we can't have nice things. Um, Godzilla appears. They have a brief fight. And then the U.S. military appears and Ghidorah kind of assesses the situation and is like, oh, no, this is like, you know, odds not in my favor. And he takes off. Um, Godzilla then takes off after him. Oh, we don't see how the scene ends because it for it suddenly switches to be from Kyle Chandler's POV and he blacks out. Um we wake back up, and um, Monarch is chasing uh, Vera Farmiga's jet or whatever um, towards Rodan, uh, where where Rodan is sleeping. Um, Vera Farmiga appears on the television and is like, "Ha, huh, I'm working with the terrorists," and everyone's like, "Bleh," and she's like, "It's because mankind is an infection; it's killing the earth." Um, she's got a nice little clip show of war and pollution to show how mankind is killing the earth. Um, so her plan is to release all the Titans and everyone's like, well, that's a terrible idea if you want to save the earth because they just destroy stuff. And she's like, oh, no, the opposite. If you look at, you know, um, the the Janjira plant where the Muto attacked. If you look at San Francisco, and she shows a recent photograph of San Francisco and Vegas and a recent photograph of, of Vegas from when the Mutos attacked, uh, they're all overgrown with vegetation. So the Mutos actually create, or the, the Titans create life wherever they go. It's triggered by uh, their radiation. So they release Rodan. Ghidra, or Monster Zero, appears to fight Rodan. Um, Godzilla appears to fight them. And then uh, the U.S. military skypes in an oxygen destroyer, and it goes pew, and it blows up. Um, Ghidra ends up being fine because he's not of this earth. Rodan ends up being fine because the, the movie forgot he was there. And uh, Godzilla dies, um, at least supposedly, seemingly. Um, Ghidorah now it reigns supreme. He uses his alpha powers calls out to Titans around the world. They all rise up and start attacking. Um, Kyle Chandler realizes that the Titans are all moving like a, like a pack responding to an alpha. And if they can figure out how to kill Ghidorah, they'll, they'll be able to, 
uh, stop them all and return them to their more inherently kind of peaceful ways. Uh, unfortunately, the best and only chance to stop Ghidorah is Godzilla, and Godzilla is dead, at least they think, until Mothra appears. Mothra starts like covering and like broadcasting an, an, an acoustic signal. They track it. They realize she's talking to Godzilla, who's still alive. So they go to Godzilla, who is still kind of alive. He's feeding off some radiation in his home, basically, which is like some ancient civilization. Um, it is either at the time was filled with radiation or now is filled with radiation, and he's able to kind of reboot and recharge. But they're like, this This is a process that could take years, you know, based on our past encounters with Godzilla disappearing for years at a time. Um, this this is something that could take him years, and by then, you know, we'll, we'll all be pretty well screwed. So they... Um, Blow a nuke off right in Godzilla's face uh, to wake his ass up, give him some nuclear energy. He wakes up. Um, he's not as mad as you would think about being nuked directly in the face. And he goes off to fight Ghidorah. Um, they end up having realized that Ghidorah is not like a natural rival to Godzilla. He fell from the stars. He's an alien, and that's why he has been like trying to destroy the Earth, unlike the other Titans, who are more forces of nature. He's a force from outside of nature, so it's imperative that they kill him. Godzilla goes to fight him. Um, something happens where they finally... Oh, they, Kyle Chandler... Because the movie wants to weirdly satisfy this plot point, um, figures out what's in the orca. It's a human bioacoustic signal, so they're able to pinpoint its location just in time for Gidra to stomp on it. But it's okay; um, it's it's not really that badly hurt. They just have to you know tap on it a couple times to get it working again later in the movie. Um, but that helps him to track down his his daughter. Uh, his wife, meanwhile, has had some regrets. She's like, oh, I didn't mean to destroy the world. I just meant to just destroy the world. Um, so they kind of reconvene. They find their daughter. Uh, meanwhile, Godzilla is uh, he's going he's going bonkers. Um, the nuke worked too well. It didn't just wake him up. It it, it made him you know he's 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 gonna go critical. Uh, he's a nuclear reactor basically that's about to explode. Um, so then he uh, he and Ghidra fight. Um, Mothra comes to help. Rodan comes to help Ghidorah. Um, so Ghidorah, so Mothra and Rodan fight. Uh, then uh, Godzilla basically goes into an, an overload meltdown mode um, in order to give him the chance he needs because Ghidorah is kind of kicking his ass. In order to give him a, a minute to breathe and get back on his feet. They decide to fire up this orca to draw Ghidorah to it, um, and uh, Vera Farmiga kind of sacrifices herself. Everyone else manages to get away, and right as Ghidorah is about to kill her, Godzilla stands up and he goes in this like full-on burning mode uh, where he unleashes some nuclear radiation, therefore frying Vera Farmiga horribly. Um, and also Ghidorah, and he kills Ghidorah, uh, basically just melts him into nothingness with his own supercharged radioactivity. Then he explodes, or like, you know, a bunch of radiation explodes out from Godzilla, leaves a huge crater. Uh, he stands up. Meanwhile, all the other Titans 
around the world finally get to Boston after having heard the calls from this orca. And they all bow to Godzilla as the king of the monsters. Um, credits roll. We get a tease for Kong versus Godzilla. Credits keep rolling. Post-credits. Charles Dance. So remember him? The movie didn't for about 45 minutes. Uh, but he's back. And he is um, staring at a giant severed head of Ghidorah from earlier in the movie. Um, which Ghidorah grew back, but you know it's now this just severed head, and he's like, "Oh, we'll take it," and that's the, uh, the stinger that'll lead us into Kong versus Godzilla in in some way. So, there's your movie. I don't think I missed anything important. No, well, that was rather exhaustive. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I guess. Well, I guarantee as long as that took time to say, too, is about as much time as the writer spent breaking the story. So. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, let's let's go with uh, initial initial thoughts. Um, who 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 wants to go first? I will. I just I guess since I'm already rolling here, <laughs> I got to I, I got to see this movie a week early. Um, my initial impression, just my very initial impression was that. I liked it, but I recognized that it had some problems. Now, the having seen it again, my problems with it are actually a little different than on my first kind of blow of it. Um, but my, my first blow kind of impressions were like, oh, Mothra and Rodan really weren't in it as much as I thought, given you know that, that this felt like it was really advertising them. Um, and some of the things Doherty had said in interviews... Uh, that was that was kind of a, a just a, a thing. I was like, oh, that's that's a little weird. Um, the the pacing of this movie is so breakneck. Like, if my synopsis sounded like I was just like constantly running from one plot point to the next, that's what the movie does. It's just boom, 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 That you never get a chance to breathe. You actually do get one like two minute scene to kind of breathe. And it is almost like my favorite moment in the entire movie because it's the only chance you get to actually feel any sort of gravitas or like emotional investment in this because the rest of the time it's just so busy blistering forward. What scene um, are you referring to? Just the scene where um, Sarazawa makes up his mind to sacrifice himself. Okay. okay. All right. Um, <clears throat> but but yeah, that was like my first impression was I was was not prepared for the pacing, was not prepared for the like kind of relative lack of Mothra and Rodan just based on their their advertisement. Um, but I had a lot of fun with it, and my biggest kind of thing that I had fun with was Ghidorah himself and Godzilla. I think they both have a they like ooze personality and that's a very kind of 60s, 70s kind of concept for the monsters and I love that. It's something that we really haven't seen in a long time in this franchise especially with Toho kind of reducing all their their monsters to just like these big emotionless mountains. Um, I loved seeing them exude some personality. Godzilla has some facial reactions to things Ghidorah does and Ghidorah likewise to Godzilla. Um, and I loved the world building. Um, 
you know, you see the Muto head being studied in Castle Bravo. Um, all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, like there's mazers and sci-fi weaponry and stuff like that. And, you know, they mentioned that it's because of the the appearances of the Titans. And the, it, Doherty really feels like he's building a world here. Um, and it's kind of partially because he has to. You know, the 2014 movie was so just like, this is our world. Monsters just happen to be in it. And this movie is no. This is a like totally different world now, and I think he does a, a really good job of building and and realizing that world. Um, story wise, is a different story, but the world itself is really cool. Okay, um, I've seen it twice. Uh, my first viewing, I mean, both times I had a really good time. You know, that's that's what I'll say. The first time I was. It took me out on a huge high, um, and it still took me out on a high the second time. Um, I I really reacted well to, uh, like you said, I, I think all the monsters, they did a really good job kind of nailing, it's silly to say, the, their personalities. They all had a lot of personality, just like how, you know, they did back in the day. Um uh, a lot of people, even Trev, and I'm sure he'll get into it, uh, have complained about the monster action. I thought for the most part it was very well done. I think tw- I think in the final battle it gets a little too quick cut here and there, but other than that, I I really liked pretty much all the set pieces. Um, uh, however, uh, the the characters, I mean, they're probably like bare minimum okay enough to get you from plot point to plot point there's one character i thought was profoundly frustrating um though and um just certain decisions in the story um really kind of bother me on more of a moral um like it's they they, there's some things that i don't think a godzilla movie should have done i'll say that for now um overall though i really enjoyed it um but i mean i me and tom and matt also uh, all three of us just rewatched the entire godzilla series um and this one falls right in the middle of the pack for me um so uh i will pass it on to uh the realist in the room uh trev um yeah so this is, it's a weird one because well, this is probably not a surprise, but I don't think this is a very good movie. Um, I, I think it has it has a lot of problems. That being said, I don't hate the film, so I'll get that out of the way. Um, you're gonna hear me say some positive stuff about it. I do think it's a film that you, Bird, you said that you found a certain character frustrating. I think it's just a movie that frustrated me a lot. I think it makes a lot of frustrating decisions that keep it from being what it could have been, and it's, I feel like constantly it was like undercutting itself in ways that were bothersome to me um i think it's a movie i can see why people would like it i think and maybe this will give me some heat but i think to love this movie requires some kind of mental gymnastics or a level of forgiveness that's kind of problematic (laughs) which i'll talk about later too in in terms of we should be holding even our beloved franchises to higher standards but uh but yeah, I just think it's ultimately it's it's a very sloppy film, and I think I, I think a lot of my problems are, as we talk about them are going to come down to it's a film where it, it really does feel like a film by committee, mm-hmm. and like throughout the whole thing, I keep feeling like 
mm, some kind of decision was made there and it was really like they're really overreacting to the reactions to the previous films in yeah. a way that I think hurt it because I think if they had just let the filmmakers, particularly these filmmakers, this director do what they do, it would have been a lot better. And I think, well, this, I is think a, this is a case of a studio getting in the way. Yeah. Well, I think all of us were excited to hear Michael Doherty was doing it. I think all of us like him. We like hearing him talk about horror and monsters and we like his previous work, but yeah, I'm with you in that something is a little I don't know. Like I know I know he he participated in a writer's room in developing the screenplay. I know he he's talked about um in interviews for this about this movie, like how he handled taking studio notes and incorporating them. So, yeah, there's, there's a little there's a little something there. Yeah, the way you phrase that in some of those interviews, like it was very apparent that they essentially said, you need to try this. And so he did it. And he kind of vents a bit in his um, explanation about some of the frustration that could cause. But he also tried to reiterate, like he was taking the positives with the negatives, which is just a polite way of saying, hey, this was a studio note. So that definitely happened. We just don't know probably to what extent it happened. Yeah. And I mean, mm-hmm. we probably won't know for a few years until he's on to something else. But um, but yes, Matt, what your initial, I guess, takeaway so I've seen this three times. I got to see it a day early um, through an advanced showing, and I saw it with my family, and then I actually took Landon. And all three times, um, I really enjoyed myself. They're putting on my Godzilla blinders, like, is it a good movie? No. But it is really fun, and if you're going to have a lot of flaws, you got to be able to make up for it somehow. And I think that whole idea of like, monster punch punch really comes through. And for a lot of Godzilla fans, as much as I hate to say it, like that's what they expect. You, I saw a lot of complaints on Facebook about how much Godzilla wasn't in the 2014 film. And in this movie, like the monsters are there. They are present. They focus on the action quite a bit, for better or for worse. And I think that's the part of the movie that if you're a Godzilla fan, you definitely can latch on to, despite some very obvious flaws, which I feel like Tom highlighted quite a bit of and Trev nailed on the head. But the movie's really fun, and I'm not going to fault the movie for, for, you know, being a fun ride. I mean, I, I can't, like, I'm sitting through the theater, I'm just thinking, like, this was a blast. And if I walk away feeling that way, like, despite all the problems, I, I was pretty happy with it. Okay. Yeah, let me, and to, to that point, let me add in one final thing to my thoughts, because I feel like I should get this out of the way now so that everyone listening can keep this in mind. Is it uh, the Godzilla just... versus King Ghidorah is your favorite Godzilla movie? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's true, but uh, no, I, so take this however you want, and maybe, I don't know, I'm sure a lot of listeners will not like hearing this, but I had a realization after watching this film that, if I'm being honest, this was maybe the final one for me where I was like, you know what, I just don't think these American CGI kaiju movies are for me. Um, and I think that ultimately comes down to, because I certainly do like a lot of Japanese uh, Godzilla films that are also a lot of Toho ones that are very silly and stupid, but to me, that's ultimately offset by the charm of the practical effects, which is always a big part of why I like them. And when that charm's not there, when it's just, then it goes to two CGI monsters fighting that I don't care about, that's where I kind of check out. And that's why I need better human characters and stuff. That's what doesn't really work for me. And I say that knowing that there are a lot of fans like you guys that actually are just in, uh, in it for the just the concept of giant monsters alone, and you don't mind the CGI aspect of it. And that's cool, too. That's just not where I'm coming from. So I just wanted to make that clear. To, uh, I kind of had that 
face because I was thinking back to how you're right that I don't I didn't find the action in this very compelling. And I think a big part of that is like I alt- I always get kind of bored when I'm just watching two CGI creatures fight. There's like no element to it that I can latch onto. And I was thinking about how Skull Island probably has the best kaiju fight scenes that are done CGI, and I still wasn't even that into those. So uh, that's just me. That's just a personal thing. That's a valid point, though. I mean, I mean, I'm right there with you. And I mean, part of the thing that as you age out of things you're into as a kid, some things, like, I mean, for a lot of us at Star Wars, I mean, for us as Godzilla, there's certain things that you latch onto more as an adult, and, you know, finding out how these movies are made, and just admiring the craftsmanship, you know, the stunt the stunt performers of the, the suit actors, the miniatures, the pyro, uh, I mean, it's something you you only get out of kaiju movies a lot of the time and i mean is as much as i enjoy some of these newer ones i mean nine times out of ten if it's like hey i'm in the mood for a kaiju movie like my brain is gonna be like i need miniatures i need monster suits and stuff so uh, yeah because i was thinking like why why does like the dumb stuff in this bother me but then i love like king kong escapes you know and it's like Oh, it's because the charm is it, that's more charming to me. Ultimately, you know, this is a, it is a good point. I was si- I was sitting here for a minute thinking like, you guys are just a couple of grumpy gusses, but but I think Bird kind of hit on something right at the end there that that really speaks to why I think this is at least a, a somewhat like valid uh, concern is if you're in the mood for a kaiju movie and what you think of as a kaiju movie, you're not gonna go to one of these because because and and i and i think that's maybe any american adaptation honestly because they're they're not what you think of when you think of the genre as a whole um and and it's funny because i don't like ultraman um i've watched the entire first series of ultraman and i've watched um like i don't know 10 or 12 episodes of ultra 7 and i've watched like a bunch of the ultraman movies and as a whole i don't really like it like there's nothing about it that makes me want to ever go back for more ultraman but at the same time i really get the appeal and the appeal is it's in 22 minutes or whatever a a a shot of everything that makes a kaiju movie but just in 22 minutes these movies don't have those things, you know, they don't, they don't have that aesthetic. They don't have that feel of like, I want, you know, I need my kaiju nostalgia fix. They, they don't have that. Well, and let's also face the music here. I mean, as much as we know, Doherty is obviously a fan. I mean, to maybe to a fault. And that's a point we'll, we'll bring up later. And as much as the storytelling has this kind of like, don't care attitude that you might find in a 70s Godzilla movie as many plot elements that he borrows from the Heisei films overall this movie and Skull Island and Godzilla 2014 these are big corporate committee driven American blockbusters with hundreds of millions of dollars meant to appeal to everybody on earth and then this movie in Skull Island that was they the storytelling and attitude behind those was doubled down and watered down even more because they got bought out by China and they're depending on Chinese dollars for box office. So again, we're we're 
as much as certain things feel like some of the old movies that we love, as much nods and fan service they can put in, it's not... They're they're big budget American blockbuster films that are catered to China. That's what they yeah, are. But that, but that and like what Tom just said raises an interesting interesting question that I think Hollywood is clearly still grasping with, or like uh, you know like Legendary is grasping with is what he just said is true. Where it doesn't matter how many of these you make, these are never going to be thought of as like go to kaiju films because people are always going to think of kaiju as man in suit, right? I think that's just always going to be the thing, no matter how many, no matter how long we stick with a CGI version, and so that's why if if i'm gonna watch like a cgi kaiju film i want it to be something different and i know the, the whole talk with this one is like well we're gonna try and make more of like a toho movie you know after the complaints about what 2014 was and i, I ultimately have to ask is that really the right direction to go i think if you you can't out toho toho i mean i said this is way better than shin don't get me wrong but you you can't make that same kind of movie because you're not doing the same kind of effects. So I feel like for me, I'm trying. I'm still trying to figure out like, what do I want these Hollywood ones to be? Why do I want to like they they need to have like a more compelling story or something? Um, something you know, we, like something like Colossal, where they took a kaiju thing and and created a whole different kind of narrative with it. To me, if it's if it's just going to try to be a Toho film, then yeah, I'm just going to rather watch a Toho film that has the cool, charming, practical effects. I'm not going to yeah. default to the CGI version. Yeah, and I, I, mean, well, I think this one, I think it's weird because I think this one gets closer to to doing something different than than maybe we want to give it credit for because. It does do so much fan service, you know, and, and I mean, maybe we could talk about it. But if, if not, if we don't end up getting into it, like you can look up the Easter eggs of, you know, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and you'll find there's there's dozens. Right. So um, it's, this movie does do a ton of fan service. And so that I think kind of buries some of the things that it does do that are, you know, kind of unique to this genre as a whole and this series very much in particular and one of those things is really really trying to actively trying to build uh, a world and a universe and lead into sequels and 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 build a franchise the reality is no movie in this franchise has ever really tried to do that to this extent you know Yes, there was a franchise, and yes, there was a shared universe and all that kind of stuff. All those things happened by accident. You know, it was always just like, oh, shit, we need to do another movie. Oh, let's do another Godzilla movie. You know, like, how can we make a few, you know, how, oh, no, the profits on the last one were down. How can we can we get them to go back up? Uh, what if we threw in another monster people recognized, you know, like, and whoop, there we go. And that's how they like built this like kind of universe in the in the original series, you know. But it was never a planned thing. This movie has a lot of that, you know. And especially at the end of this, I'm looking forward to the sequel just because there's so many breadcrumbs and things of places and ways it can go. And no Godzilla movie has ever done that before. No Godzilla movie has ever even really attempted to do that before. Um, and and. And also, like, just, like, the the general world building. You know, you got, like, Muto's in the background, and there's all kinds of other kaiju that you never really get to see. Um, and, and that's all pretty unique. 
but it is buried under a lot of fan service. So there, there, this movie kind of scratches at the surface of of what I think you're you you might want maybe from an American Godzilla movie to get you to feel like it's something very unique and very different. But it does most of that legwork in a credits epilogue and a post credit scene. Uh, and, and in the background, and it's not really kind of at the forefront of this. The forefront of the story is um, let's make a 70s Godzilla movie in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, and I mean, I guess one last point to add to this part of the discussion is the giant monster genre hasn't really been truly mainstream globally, at least. Ever? Well, I mean, I think maybe the fifties and sixties, you know, the giant, oh, okay. ins- you know, giant insect stuff, and I mean, even when stuff like Destroy All Monsters was coming out, and in Japan there was another renaissance in the nineties with Godzilla versus Mothra and Gamera, Guardian of the Universe, and stuff. But I mean, the truth is, it's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird genre. Your main characters are giant creatures, and very few of them especially since like the 60s 70s the very few of them have really bothered much with human story so it's i mean there's there's a little bit of a general audience disconnect in a way however i will say as much as we're talking about like well it doesn't do this or that new cgi stuff isn't as interesting i do think that this movie is going to play very well for kids who will see this first and then go back and and become uh, cranky old nerds like us um, <laughs> after a while. And so on that front, I think that it's you know it's 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 fighting the good fight. But yeah, that's um, what you said about Ant Man too, also. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, for some for some reason, Bird like forgot that there's 20 other superhero movies out there that are actually good. <laughs> <laughs> this this movie. I, there's, I, there's, I mean, I think there's not a wealth of kaiju movies out there for 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 a modern young kid to go check out. I do think what Bird just said, though, there's a point to it too, and I, I think it is something to remember. And like, I, I want to. This is. I don't want this to sound as negative as I'm, as I'm sure people are going to think it sounds. So please listen to my whole point before you get mad at me. But I'm already the pissed. box office performance of this film this weekend and that general general reaction to it. We were talking about this a little bit before the too is i think it's time for this fandom to just realize and accept that godzilla is probably never gonna be the mcu or star wars and i think it seems like there's a lot of people in the fandom who are very frustrated that that's the case and they're just like they they really want that validation of it being that big of a franchise and it's just not so the kaiju films in general you know pacific rim wasn't a huge performer here either and you know every every all these films like this just don't they're not that big. It's a, it's a niche thing, and that's fine. That's cool. Um, it actually should help you kind of, you know, have a different kind of expectation where you shouldn't get that upset when it's not a billion-dollar earner, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, looking at this movie and what I was saying about the constant, you know, needing to appeal to so many people when you have a movie this expensive, I mean, it's cool for this little run of movies, but is this what I want Godzilla to always be from now on? I mean, it's honestly not. Uh, <laughs> well, good news there, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> with the box office performance, I don't think you're getting many more like this. 
Um, so I don't know. I guess I guess the easiest thing to unpack the rest of this, uh, I guess, is we'll kind of go department by department here. Um, so I do think we should talk about. Um, I don't know. Would you rather go through like okay, we'll talk about characters and then like the score, or would you rather go with like pros and cons? How do you want to format this conversation? I would rather start with some negatives, maybe, and work our way into positives, so we can end on a high note. But it's up to you guys. Okay, no, I, I agree with that. Okay, so okay, so so are we? You guys want to start with negatives then? Yeah, okay. I mean, I'd like like Matt has none, so. <laughs> <laughs> Oxygen destroyer. <laughs> oh, do you want to start? The, I mean, I, hey, that, that's the biggest one I think. Uh, it's it's a huge one. Um, okay, so uh, so I mean, anyone listening hopefully has seen this uh, movie. But yes, uh, when Godzilla and Ghidorah are fighting in the ocean, Admiral Stenz, who, if you remember from the 2014 movie, is a very calm. He's about as calm and rational as a military commander type character could be. I remember all of us saying like, oh, you know, I actually liked he was kind of against, you know, type, like the shouting guy. He wasn't. He was always kind of like, okay, well, this is the best we can do. But between movies, I guess he like suffered a head injury and he's a complete moron now. Um and so he, he Skypes into the, the Argo, and he's like, hey, guys, we got this super secret weapon. It's called an oxygen destroyer, and it'll eliminate, like, all life in a radius of X amount of wherever. And, uh, yeah, it's, like, gonna be there soon. And so that detonates, and, yeah, that's where Ghidorah f- survives. Godzilla is severely injured. Um, and... It, it, the oxygen destroyer in, in Godzilla, I guess, lore, and in this whole run of, uh, this is now the 35th movie, it's kind of always been, like, the one thing nobody ever touched again. I mean, you can say Godzilla versus Destroyer, but that's a creature that was born from the oxygen destroyer. Nobody ever was like, let's reintroduce this device in a new continuity. It's like... Because the Oxygen Destroyer itself is a, a, a WMD, and in the original movie, I mean, just using it comes with a great sacrifice, and that's why the original Dr. Sarazawa chooses to die with it, um, so it can't fall into the wrong hands, so it can't fall into the hands of any kind of military, any kind of government, which is, oh, that's where it is here. Um, <laughs> um and it's just, it's always been, like, the, um, I don't know if there's a good word to use, but it's always it's always been, like, the untouchable part of the Godzilla myth. And if you are going to bring it back, you need to think about what you're doing. And this is where I was saying, um, and I alluded to when we started recording, this is the worst kind of fan service because it's where you have a director who is so wrapped up in getting to do this thing that he's wanted to do for uh, since he was like six years old, make a Godzilla movie, and he's so eager to drop in a reference here and a thing there. And I mean, he's just throwing everything at the wall. Like, nobody was there to like calm the fanboy down and be like, hey, d- d- 
I don't know if this like makes sense. I don't know if this is in the story right. And I, I mean, considering the mythology of Godzilla, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. I mean, it's something that maybe someone like Kevin Feige would do to a Marvel director and be like, whoa, hey, let's calm down. But they don't have a Kevin Feige. They just have Michael Doherty, who knows more about Godzilla than any of the producers or anyone. So no one's there to like be like, hey, like this is a really weird use of this. And it's it's where the fanboy is coming the fanboy Michael Doherty is coming before the storyteller Michael Doherty and it it's just like it, it, I don't know I was that's the first thing in the movie that really made me kind of like sink into my chair and just kind of be like ooh wow whoa whoa what what are you doing in, uh, gonorrhea and Ghidorah yeah, no this I, no this is worse and then this is before that too I think yeah and then they doubled down on the al- on, on the uh, I guess allegorical part by when the oxygen destroyer detonates, it's a mushroom cloud, which is to- very tone deaf in terms of what another big of detonation that's going to follow it, and then you just see some fish flop up, and I mean it was it was the oxygen destroyer being used with absolutely no consequence. I mean, I it was it was it's it's by far the most baffling thing in the movie, um, and uh, I mean, it's, it's uh, you're right because it's you're right that it's the worst kind of fan service because not only is it thematically problematic but it doesn't even affect the narrative in any way. It's just stuck in there for them to be like, hey, there's that thing you know from the other movie, right? And say, like, and, I mean, yeah, like it takes Godzilla out for a little bit, but he could have just been like weakened from the fight. You well, yeah, yeah, like that. him and Ghidorah had like an intense fight. It could have been like, oh, Ghidorah really like whooped his ass and he's like he might be dying like i mean works better (laughs) than to bring in like the one thing no other writer or director has ever dared touch in the franchise and to bring it back with no thought and then having no consequence to it was just like i mean that was the biggest groan for me well i was trying to put myself in the shoes of someone watching this film that isn't familiar with the toho movies right and like thinking like what would that scene even mean to them and as far as i can tell nothing right because they would just be like well, that was weird they just brought in some weapon and it didn't work like that's all they would think about it so like what's the point of having that if you're not even gonna like you said you're not gonna pay off the mythology of it or why it's a big deal yeah that's that's the the part that's you know i mean the other bits of fan service that the movie has are a lot more subtle and you know it's funny because i, I at times i was like huh trev's like you're like a casual enough person i wonder how many of them he noticed you know like like the way that mothra sacrifices herself and then turns into like dust or whatever and you know kind of goes into uh godzilla is like very reminiscent of um Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla two when Rodan does that you know like that's a that's a thing that like yeah. I it, it clicked for me like immediately I don't think that would click for the average person but it also like doesn't it works unto itself and it doesn't it, mm-hmm. it's not like specifically called out you know it, it's not like a hey look at me moment um, this is hey look here's an oxygen destroyer and like it's not like that is um, it's not like an oxygen destroyer is like a um, a theoretical thing that exists in in the real world, or you know, like that that that's a a real world concept. You know, like um, 
uh, I don't know, like, oh, look, it's a perpetual motion machine. Oh, well, I, as like a normal, like I have a reference point for what the hell that is. It's an oxygen destroyer. Like you're watching. Oh, so what? You know, like that's a that is a that's a really good point of like it's it's fan service. That's just fan service that like only makes sense to fans. And you also fucked it up. So right. like <laughs> the only people that would get something out of you ruined it for. <laughs> yeah, that that it's 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 a problem. It's like it's like if like 50 years from now I, I remade like the Avengers and I have a scene just for people like the old Avengers movies where the bad guy in this new one pulls out the Infinity Gauntlet. It's like, oh, my God, he's got the Infinity Gauntlet with the stones and he snaps his finger and all it does is it makes the like Avengers car not start. And you're like, ooh, wow, that was that was pretty cool, you know. Uh, yeah, no, that was <laughs> that was a big one. Um, I guess, well, since that, that's where we started. Um, I mean, I the characters are serviceable enough for a Godzilla movie. However, I do think we should talk about Emma, Emma, yeah, Emma, yep, Emma, something, Vera Farmiga's character, who I'm. I'm still struggling to rationalize this character. It might be one of the most frustrating characters in the Godzilla series. Uh, but, um, so first of all, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying right now, if I don't understand, if I'm getting something wrong, please correct me. But first of all, what was the point of like, I guess, staging the kidnapping of her and her daughter? Exactly. There is no point. <laughs> I mean, okay, well, that was a lot of work for no reason. Um, but, I mean, whatever. I can even overlook how dumb that is. But, and, but like, her... I mean, her... The, the, only, the only point that you could maybe is, like, okay, well, if they think that they've been kidnapped, then maybe it gives them a slight leg up in going to get... Ghidorah because it's like all a misdirect so they don't necessarily know that they're going to uh, to Antarctica they think that they're trying to go after Mothra and the kidnapping kind of distracted them from Mothra long enough to allow Mothra to get away Mark says that like uh, Kyle Chandler's character says that exact thing but they never touch on it again is the problem yeah, it's it's they never. It's a you know it it barely it it barely has a mental gymnastics explanation. So so yeah, you're right, bird. That that's um, yeah. And then you know her and Charles dance. Their motivation is the same, which is people are the virus. The monsters were the original rulers of Earth, and they. For, they leave radiation that makes life. Uh, is there any kind of radiation that does that? No. <laughs> so that's already like a weird like. If you're gonna go with the monsters leaving radiation thing, either go doom and gloom, or just don't. Like most Godzilla movies, get by on just you know he's radioactive, but it's just never brought up ever. Like ever, ever, ever. And then the original, like, everyone's dying of radiation poisoning. <laughs> but it's weird to be like, no, it's good. So, I mean, that's a weird thematic problem that 
this, this this movie had the disadvantage of coming out at the same time that like Chernobyl is showing on HBO and has become this huge cultural, you know, like water cooler show and suddenly everyone's very in tune to the idea of radiation. And I've seen like a lot of reviews and write-ups on this film talking about that and being like, I don't well, geez, I just watched a show and I'm pretty sure like everybody in this movie should be dying of cancer now. <laughs> it was just... Um yeah, no, exactly. And yeah, I'm watching Chernobyl too and the whole time just thinking about <laughs> about it. Um but anyway, so furthermore, the plan is to release all the monsters and they will, you know, dwindle the human population and uh Ghidorah comes out and he is just like screw it I'm an alpha I'm going to send a signal and all these monsters are going to destroy things all across the globe and that's when you get the very destroy all monsters slash final warsian idea of there's monsters everywhere and like those movies most of the time <laughs> their attacks occur off screen um but uh then Ghidorah is loose and he's just kind of killing everything a little faster and Charles Dance is like, yeah, I mean, it's happening faster than we expected, but, I mean, the plan is the same. It's just happening quicker. And then Vera's like, no, that's awful. I need to save my daughter. And then, and then like, what? Um, and so, I don't know. I, I actually just got the making of book. Um, I don't know if you guys even bothered to share the pieces of it I sent, but... So here's something, and I want you guys to tell me how well this comes off in the actual movie. Um, so, okay. In Emma's mind, we're the elk, Doherty explains, and Godzilla and his kind are the wolves. She's not arguing for our extinction. She's arguing that we don't necessarily belong on the top of the food chain. Emma thinks that she's restoring a natural order, that we have been holding back a process which, while initially destructive, will have long-term benefits for the health of our planet and our species. She sees the planet as dying from an infection, with humanity being the infection. So she believes that she'll release these creatures and they will return to their natural habitats their natural cycles and while that might cause some fits and starts for humans as a species ultimately it will settle into a balance where we'll live in a sort of symbiotic relationship uh does emma mean to unleash the full measure of havoc that ensues zach shields he's a co-writer points out that emma misunderstands king Ghidorah's origins i think what she expected to happen was a lot of destruction yes for a second (laughs) because right right before you get into this part because i actually did read these things everything you've said up until this point i think comes across well enough in the movie okay Uh, i understood you know, that she wasn't trying to eradicate humans. She was trying to establish um, a new natural order that would have some pain and growing pains, but would be for the ultimate benefit of everyone. I definitely think that maybe isn't explored well, but it comes across. Okay, so you're saying the next part might not make any sense. Correct. Okay, so she doesn't understand King Ghidorah's origins. I think what she expected to happen was a lot of destruction and chaos, but for it to be a natural and painful part of the rebirthing process that the world needs... um but the thing that she didn't account for was that King Ghidorah is not from our world. He's not part of the natural order. She assumed that he was another titan of this world. And instead, she's released a foreign element into our ecosystem, one that's trying to take over and terraform to its liking. 
Emma isn't really wrong. If she doesn't do this thing, we will go extinct. But then Sarazawa's argument, which is that we should still give humanity a chance, and if we had done more research, and if Emma had been more thorough and hadn't rushed her decision, then maybe she could have learned more about King Ghidorah, kept him dormant, released the other ones, and we would have found an even balance. So that is the shit f- ain't in this movie. <laughs> so is the film's message? <laughs> so is the film's message that extreme eco-activism is a good thing, but you must do your research first? Shields laughs. I think the moral, to me anyway, is that at its heart, it goes back to the family, which is deal with your crap, don't bring it to work. That is not even an answer what? to the question. That, that <laughs> is like that, the guy. That's the worst. That is the worst. <laughs> That that might be the worst, and that's in printed. That's in printed book. That's in that's in an actual book that you can go to Barnes and Noble or Amazon or wherever and buy. That's in the you making. Know, book. What's yeah. so crazy about that last bit is, I feel like that last bit is is in here, and it's some of my biggest complaints about the just straight up pure dialogue. Is that when he says movie? doing this won't bring him back? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Non, yeah, yeah. Non-sequitur. Um <laughs> where she's like, uh, you can't run away from your problems, Mark. Oh, his name's Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um she says you can't run away from your problems. And he's like, doing this won't bring him back. And it's like, first of all, those two pieces of dialogue do not go together. <laughs> Second of all, I don't really think that's like the the hammer. Uh, the nail in the coffin that this movie like thinks that it is. It, 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 I don't think anyone is dumb enough to think that like murdering everyone would bring a loved one back to life. I think he would have been better served, much better served by saying something to the effect of, you know, um, you're going to do to thousands of others, what you did to us, you know, um, is this how you would want his, is this how you want legacy to be remembered things like things in that kind of vein you know where where you really make it seem like she's smearing uh, a thing that once was good rather than like oh you won't zombify our dead son back to life like no shit <laughs> um and and so that's like i guess that last little bit about the family thing may, maybe is in here but jesus goddamn if that's the moral of this movie is that like she went crazy because her son died? Like, that is awful. <laughs> well, the pro- I, the problem ahead. with this is is that you don't... I mean, the son is basically mentioned at the very be- at the very beginning. You get, a, like, a video of him through the eyes of Mark watching, like, a recording on his phone or something. And the loss of the child is supposed to be this big deal and a central thing to the story, but you don't really get that sense throughout the movie as much as you should for it to ring home. And also like Doherty talked about pretty explicitly that the idea behind this whole movie is essentially global warming and environmentalism. Like it's we're screwing up the environment and the monsters are going to fix it. And if we don't do that in our real world now and deal with something like climate change, we're in for a lot of problems. Like that's the idea behind this movie, but also that doesn't quite come through when you got radiation fixing everything. It's also a problem just to in the in the general attitude that that Doherty has towards it. Um and uh 
this comes across in that one interview he did on that witching hour thing where he talks about a whole bunch of spoilers. Um, and he talks about how he like, oh, if I could, you know, start a world where we lived in harmony with Kaiju, I totally would. But it's like, if you want that to be the thing, and I think that is like a, a really neat idea, there has to be a cost associated with it. And in this movie, the cost associated with releasing all the kaiju only exists because Ghidorah is an alien and is an asshole. Like if, if Ghidorah had turned out to just be like, um, Rodan basically, then everything would have been fine. And the, the kaiju are naturally peaceful. They don't attack anyone. They just live in perfect harmony their shit makes fos- their shit makes uh, cars go. Um, <laughs> they they build rainforests in the desert. Like it's all completely hunky dory with no conflict. There needs to be. And listen, there there's there's another movie, right? So they they could. I don't think they will, based on like all the evidence in this movie that that they they just have no interest in it. They're, they could go back and be like, oh. Uh, we thought the kaiju were being nice to us, but turns out they're not or something like that. But like if your whole point is going to be about this coexistence, it needs to come at a cost and at a sacrifice, whether it's us giving up our modern conveniences yeah. or like us launching all of our nukes into outer space so that they don't exist anymore or there needs to be some sort of consequence to it. And there just isn't. Well, here's here's where I think they really screwed up. Here's I think the problem with the Emma character ultimately is that twist, or not twist, but it's the turn. It's the moment where she realizes what she's doing is wrong and decides to try and help the good guys at the end. I actually think the movie would be way better if they just cut that out. And actually, I'm I'm picturing a version of this movie where the Charles Dance character doesn't even exist. It's just Emma is the villain. Uh, early on, we learn that she's got this plan. Uh, she's decided to do this. And you could even frame it the same way where she thinks it's going to be this thing where it's just going to be this kind of like, you know, gradual ecosystem shift. And then everything starts going to hell. And at that point, she makes a decision. She's she's the one who says, well, I guess it's just going to happen quicker. That's fine. That was ultimately my plan. And you could even at that and I think this would save the Madison character, too, because I kind of hate how Madison comes across like a real bonehead in this movie too, because she's like totally fine with this plan until her dad is just like, Hey Madison, this is going to kill people. And she's like, Oh yeah, you're right, dad. This is horrible. (laughs) Like, I guess I never thought about that. So if she had been like completely left out of the loop and then she sees how crazy her mom is and you just like had her at that point, you know, try to get the orca and escape and become, you know, more of a hero. I just feel like that would solve so many problems and you would like you. I think that would make Emma a much more interesting character to be the central villain. You could even leave her alive in that post credit scene and be like, Ooh, we're getting more of, you know, evil Farmiga in the next one. I'd be more down for that. I think it's that turn that makes her seem so ridiculous because as we've all pointed out, of course, this is what was going to happen. Why does the timetable matter? You know, like, why are you like suddenly like, well, I thought people were going to die, but I thought it was going to happen slowly. And what? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I think there's a crucial piece missing where if if her point of view was that she's aiming for a coexistence, a, a gradual coexistence, they never stop and say, like, I, I, or do they? I mean, Matt and Tom have seen it more than me, but no. is there ever a point where, where they say, like, King Ghidorah's goal yes. is to wipe out all life on Earth? Yeah, kind they, of. 
they kind of they, it's it's pretty heavily implied. They talk about okay. That's like, not what I'm asking. I'm not asking if it's implied. <laughs> they they say he's shaping the world to yeah. his desire. He's basically terraforming the world, and by doing that, it's gonna kill everybody. Like that's what her realization is. Is that humans were gonna? She actually says at some point that we're gonna be extinct if this continues. Like it's not just mankind will be preserved in coexistence it's that everything is going to be wiped out because of Ghidra so that's where she turns and again not really well thought out not really well stated in the movie the fact that you asked that question should tell you like it kind of sucks as an explanation <laughs> it is there all that stuff that he read if about like um she, what, what is it like she was too hasty if she had um, if she bothered to learn about king Ghidorah before yeah, releasing all that him. stuff that that is not in this movie no there are minor tiny little threads of it that once you hear that explanation you can go back and pick up on but like because they do say, oh, it's almost like nobody ever wanted to write about Ghidorah. And, um, you know, as they, they, oh, we've, we just have discovered him recently and things like that. So, like, they, there's a couple of tiny little pieces of that in there, but nowhere near enough to get to that point of, like, oh, they just acted too hastily. Like, like, if they had taken their time to actually, like, no, that's not in there. It's like there needed to be a point where where maybe even Sarazawa was like y- like admitted something like, "Yes, our plan was to sort of gradually reintroduce Titans into the world, but very very gradually where there would be no loss of life and you're taking it too hastily and she could be sort of this this and it would work really well too with her constantly talking about nature and restoring the balance and preserving the balance. And that's something that Sarazawa always talks about too. It would work so well then as her being like a perversion of everything that he talks about. Mm -hmm. That would work really, really well actually if they let it be in there and, and, and develop naturally and, and, and have some dialogue pointing that out. It would, it would actually work kind of awesomely and you could still keep the Charles dance character in there as the heavy, but like the, the way it is in this movie that that's not in there. That, that is, I'm just trying to get rid of Charles dance because the movie tries to also. So (laughs) can can I ask, is this like the easiest paycheck he's ever gotten? Charles dance. Probably. He did get killed for, for pooping on the toilet at one time. (laughs) (laughs) um okay so basically like it's kind of like emma is uh infinity war thanos and charles dance is endgame thanos (laughs) but like but then the movie asks us to actually sympathize a lot with infinity war thanos which is weird (laughs) right unfortunately that's true (laughs) (laughs) it's true um okay so i know there's one other big thing because i mean I don't want people to think we're just coming in here to dogpile on it. We all liked it to some degree. Some of us even loved it, but the the issues are major that we do have. So I know that there were. I know the the last one. I'll let Trev run away with this one. Um, but when I think of a Godzilla movie, uh, I think that the most successful ones kind of have to have at least an underlying essence of 
all mankind, nationalities, races working together. You kind of you kind of get that here. Um, environmentalism and uh, the idea of nature um, being more powerful than man. That's definitely here. And the third one is um, if it's a subject that the movie is willing to tackle, not all Godzilla movies do, it has to be very staunchly anti-WMD. Which it already isn't because of the oxygen destroyer thing that, that <laughs> we, we discussed. But I think... That <laughs> but now I think I, it is time to address Sarazawa's sacrifice and what it entails and the the where the subtext can be problematic here and i know it's one of the first things trev said to me uh i trev saw it for the first time and i was seeing it for the second time we saw it together one of the first things he said to me when we were walking out of the theater trev what was that uh i said hey isn't it strange that the heroes in this film used a nuke to save the day um and i think and then the more i thought and then we kept talking about more i was like in this universe, in this monster verse, nukes are like kind of indisputably a good thing, because Sarazawa says early on in the film, uh, and we know this was established in 2014, also that Godzilla was only awoken because of the nuclear testing. But we now know that Godzilla being awake is good, so it's it's a good thing that we did those tests and that we woke up Godzilla because we need him to be a protector. He's supposed to be here as part of our natural order. And then in this film, once he's kind of knocked unconscious by the oxygen destroyer, as you as you will be, um, the way they wake him up is by setting off a nuke uh, roughly fifty feet from his head. And was it that far? It's. I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, I don't know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, so, so I had like two issues with that because first, like well, another complaint I have with this film, and it, it's kind of just tied into the same thing is. I really feel like this movie made Godzilla too invulnerable. I mean, the fact that I understand the idea that scene is he's absorbing the radiation and that's what's giving him his strength back. But what about the concussion of the blast and just the explosion itself? I mean, it's this thing off right next to his head and it doesn't even affect him. Later on in the film, he's dropped from orbit. and He's fine. Um, even his meltdown, you know, when he started melting, melting down at the end, I actually thought they were going at Godzilla versus Destoria or whatever you say that one. I always have a problem with that. But I thought we were like, oh my God, are they actually going to like have him die and have a new Godzilla, but no, he just he's melting down. He's fine. Um, but yeah, but so beyond that, besides the invulnerable thing, just the idea that they treat nukes as like always like the 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 thing the heroes need to do, and again with no other repercussions beyond that. Even to that, like a little bit more problematic, I saw other people point out that they find this like temple that's like they're all these they're all scientists, and they find this temple of like an ancient civilization, and they're like, well, let's blow it up. I don't need to. <laughs> worry about that you know we don't need to explore that or anything um but yeah so i like one like the bird's right one of the things i asked him was like how do the fans feel about that that this movie that this universe is just treating nukes like yay they're great because they always help they always help godzilla and they're always used with like no i mean even if you're gonna go that route i mean have some dialogue or at least pay some lip service to it like uh like you i know, said like, yeah, when they say that when they say that they use one they don't they don't have that moment that you normally get in, in like in films like this where like someone speaks up and goes do we really want to do this like like what about what is this going to do to the ecosystem or like well that that does happen uh what's his face the guy that keeps dropping jokes he mentions it but it's it's very like we have to include this kind of thing it does happen though. Well, I mean, really? Uh, who, who, who says what now? 
Uh, who's the guy that does the Godzilla whatever? Bradley line. Whitford. Yeah, he actually talks about, are we sure we want to nuke this? Like, he talks about, are they sure they want to do this? No, what he says is, we're hitting a, a giant mutant lizard with a nuke. This isn't, like, a precise science. He doesn't say it. That way at all. Yeah, I, don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember it that way, but maybe you're right. There was he no like. It, he says it more like, "Are we sure this is gonna work?" And less like, "Should we do this at the, all?" The the closest acknowledgement from what I remember is Sarazawa looking at his watch, which, if you remember from the previous film, it's a watch that stops at the it, it it's been stopped since he was a child, and it stopped at the exact moment that the bomb on Hiroshima was dropped. Um, the problem with that scene because audiences is our audiences are stupid. The problem with, the, with that scene, though, is like a few minutes before that, we have that part where they talk about how uh, Andrew always asked him about the watch. He always made that joke. So when he pulls out the watch and looks at it, I bet you a lot of the audience is thinking like, "Oh, he's thinking about Andrew and how he's doing." Yeah, this I mean, I know it was, true. I know, <laughs> I know it was stated in the previous movie, but yeah, I mean, they should have restated that. But I mean, even but the previous movie has some problems too. Um, because, uh, Trev, I don't know if it's, it's been a while since you watched it, but we all, everyone else here just watched it recently. Um, they use the nuke to lure Godzilla and the Mutos, and at the end, the Mutos after it, and Godzilla uh, kills it, but Ford um, is trying to get it um, into like away from the city, so he's on a boat, and he sets the boat with the live nuke, and then he's rescued at the last minute, and then the nuke goes off in the middle of the ocean, but Godzilla's still sleeping, um, because he's, like, knocked out or whatever, so we don't get the idea that, oh, he absorbed all the radiation from the nuke, we get that his, his ass is still sleeping, and a nuke just went off in the middle of the ocean. It's never brought up again, and it's like, well, they were doing an okay job with the nuclear stuff until... The movie ended with a live nuke going off. A Godzilla movie ended with a nuke going off and not being addressed. So, yeah, I think in general, like, this ver- this this v- version of God- the Godzilla story is very, like, wrong <laughs> about the nuclear, the whole, the nuclear weapons it's, stuff. It's a very American sentiment when it comes to nuclear weapons. Like, we, we put nuclear things in our video games, like, we... The Dark Knight. I mean, there's a, there's a list of movies that where the nuclear weapon is is actually the the cure. It, it beats mm-hmm. something else. I mean, you could go back to yeah. like yeah, Return but, of the Living Dead. I'm just saying it's a very American sentiment. And <sighs> with Godzilla, it's tone deaf. Is the problem? I was just about to ask, and I hate to be this cynical. And I'm sure maybe I'm overreaching here, but do you think there's anything to that? The idea of like, is this America trying to reclaim like you know because Gojira is like a very critical about what happened in Japan after we dropped the bomb on them, and is this America being like? Yeah, well, we'll we'll take this franchise and we'll we'll remind you that no nukes are fine. They're good. Like, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's on purpose. I mean, I definitely like. I don't think Michael Doherty is pro nuke or whatever. Def- yeah, I would. I think I think this is just like Tom mentioned. There is a weird version of Godzilla fans that like in fan fiction and stuff want to see him get nuked for some reason. What happened in like the Godzilla comic series with that, uh, the first one that came out, like the, it starts with Godzilla getting nuked. Well, and, and that's what gives him his blue breath. But, but people were upset yeah. about that in that comic book. Um, I, I mean, I think it, it's tone deaf in a way that maybe the original King Kong isn't, is tone deaf to African-Americans. I, I think it's, 
unfortunate, but I think it's innocent in that when you have American writers dealing with this subject matter, I think that they're not considering how it might play to a Japanese audience. And from what I'm hearing, I mean, I think the Japanese audience has been okay with the movie, but I do know that this has been kind of an issue for them. And I mean, it's not surprising at all. But I I, I think it's something that, again, this kind of goes to Doherty, like he's fulfilling all his fan fiction dreams and i think that that no, yeah, that's yeah. taking 100%. it's taking precedence over a more deliberate and thoughtful style of storytelling because like i mean you you look at the kind of thought that go that you know is in an ashiro honda film or a shusuke kaneko film and it's just not there um and i think I think Doherty is probably one of those fans that was like, I always wanted to see what would happen if Godzilla was nuked and how he'd absorb it and give him all these cool powers and blah, 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 blah. Just like I think, and I mean, there's quotes in the Making of book and also um, the Witching Hour podcast that Tom referred to earlier where Doherty is like, yeah, ever since I was like eight years old, I fantasized about a world where men and beasts, you know, kaijus and humans coexisted peacefully he was like ever since i discovered kaiju movies i just imagined my fantasy world where humans and kaiju just roam the planet in peaceful coexistence and it's those like this is what i mean when sometimes someone can be so much of a fan of something and so close to the material that nobody is pulling them back and making them look at the bigger picture and kind of putting the ideas in check and so I mean, as love as I, as I, as much as I've loved Michael Doherty, I mean, ever since X Men Two, I've loved reading interviews with him, listening to podcasts with him. I think that, and I, I, I think he was the right person for this job, but he needed someone like a Kevin Feige above him that was also knew the ins and outs of the franchise and was able to like tone that down. Well, uh, it, I hate it to say it, but super obvious in that in that Witching Hour interview that. They, there's no, there's nobody like that, right? Nobody's, nobody is reining anything in. Um, nobody is thinking about where things should go next. It's all just being like made up on this. It, he admits as much, like, because someone's like, "Oh, did you think about how this would play in Godzilla versus Kong?" And he was like, "We didn't start writing that movie until this one was in post production, so no." <laughs> yeah, he does, yeah, he says that. But I, I, I think that there is something, and this is why, like, your fandom doesn't matter how much of a, how, in what you're going to do with it as a director. I, I think the, the fanboy Michael Doherty took precedence over the, the writer-director Michael Doherty, and that's where, unfortunately, him being so close to the material is a lot of where the downfall comes. Is that making any sense to anyone? No, yeah. I, I agree 100% that that's, that's like him being such a fan and such a fanboy, and I hate to use that word because it's got so many negative connotations, is, is what leads to some of the movie's worst moments. Let me throw the Oxygen Destroyer in here because that's so cool. Let me have Godzilla get hit by a nuke because that would be so cool. Let me have Sarazawa flip his sacrifice and be go from one of stopping Godzilla to one of helping Godzilla. That would be so cool. And that one I actually agree with, but it's Sarazawa blowing everything up with a nuke, which is, like, problematic. 
I'll yeah. push it even further because I think Tom, I think you already said this in another discussion we had online, but that idea of the fanboy Doherty getting in the way of like filmmaker Doherty, I think I think why else that's a problem is I think in every case, like he kept putting aside his own sensibility to do what he thinks Godzilla fans want to see and what he thinks the franchise needs. But I think the reason we were all initially excited was the idea of a true Doherty Godzilla film with like his sensibility filtered in. And I thought what disappointed me walking out of this was I didn't feel like I felt him like in a screenplay or, or in the directorial style at all. Like I, I think about what I love about trick or treat and uh, Krampus and I didn't see that sense of humor here. And I didn't really like, uh, I mean, I, I guess visually it couldn't be exactly the same anyways. It's still got to be a big blockbuster thing, but yeah, I felt like he wasn't in this a lot and that might've been a conscious choice by him to be like, well, instead of putting in my weird kind of dark sense of humor, I'll, I'll play it safe to what, I, as a Godzilla fan, would like to see a Toho film, but man, I wish he let it himself in there a little bit more. It's weird, yeah, it, like it, definitely it, the dialogue is like you you look at the dialogue for this movie, and then you just look at the way Trick or Treat is written and how interwoven those stories kind of are, and how it's a very unconventional anthology that still totally works and you're like there's no way the same person wrote those yeah. two movies right the humor, like, i was just surprised that really none of the humor landed like the king Ghidorah gonorrhea joke was bad because like those words don't even sound the same that's um, like a that's like a blank movie kind of joke you know like like the what are the what are those two sh- schmucks called dragon <laughs> seltzer yeah <laughs> That's one of those kind of jokes. Um, I know, I, I, like, I don't know, Trev's, a, well, Trev, here we can bring it back around to when you talked about Skull Island with us, uh, Thomas Middlebelt, Middlebelt, that's like a street, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's that's the road that my work is on, um, Thomas Middlebelt, Damn. Thomas <laughs> Middle Ditch. Yeah. Uh, he just had like a voice cameo in Skull Island, and you, as a fan of his, was disappointed. And then, amazingly, like a week later, he got a, a, announced as part of this cast. Um, yeah, they listen to me. How did you feel about him in the in the film? I, I had no problem with him, actually. I, th- I mean, that gonorrhea joke is, is terrible. Uh, it's maybe like one of the worst moments in the, you know, franchise history of the franchise <laughs> but uh I, but i i like him as a presence and i thought he was fine as bringing some charisma to that kind of typical like bureaucrat who's just there to uh you know explain things i i thought like it because like tom saw it before i did before all of us i guess and he was telling us about the middle ditch character a little bit and he, he mentioned how everyone in the movie just hates him and i went into the film expecting him to be like a really annoying character or something where you kind of got it and i didn't really i didn't understand why everyone treats him like shit in the movie <laughs> no he's like meg he's like a family like, guy <laughs> yeah he's like a pretty normal guy who's always trying to help and everyone just is like dumping on him constantly i was like okay whatever but yeah like in I, the I, one part when he's like i know the way to the hangar and he's like not you asshole somebody else <laughs> what <laughs> no trevor like, uh, like i i agree I agree with Bert that, uh, and this is so sad because I've I've long had a theory that any movie could be improved by having Bradley Whitford in it. But man, <laughs> he's the pits in this. <laughs> like he's really bad. <laughs> he has a lot. Like he's the most. He, I thought he was the most grating character for sure. Yeah, I guess it's like, I'm not even sure that he's bad. It's just he's saddled with like the kind of worst comic relief stuff. Sarazawa's got that lizard all juiced up. Yeah. I have I have one more um, 
complaint that it's I, probably the that same I need one to get that I'm my, thinking about right that now. I need to get off my chest before and I did it during my synopsis but then we can as far as I'm concerned we can get into positives um it, oh and just one thing one last note on the nuke thing I'm fully aware that other Godzilla movies make this mistake and muddle their metaphors and a lot of them are movies that I genuinely like or love um I think I think like Hedora muddles its metaphors by having like nuclear Godzilla blow his radioactive fire onto pollution. That's like a really kind of weird <laughs> thing that happens. Um, Megalon uh, has Godzilla fighting in favor of nuclear testing. Um, you know, Biollante brings up that he's radioactive, only to just completely drop it throughout the course of the movie. Destroyer has problems. Like, there's a lot of mo- there's a lot of Godzilla movies that that miss they this. They try point. to nuke Godzilla and King Ghidorah. Um, like, this is the so, first movie to do that. And so, like, and so, yeah. As long as the the movie has its heart in the right place, it it's a problem, and it'll definitely demote it for me. But it's not something that's going to make me like rip my lungs out or anything well i think with this other... one like it was but, made such a huge like set piece out of it yeah whereas you're you're but, mentioning lines of dialogue or something like you know this movie really makes a big deal about it well there's that that happens in a couple other godzilla movies too so it's it's just kind of one of those things it happens i'm not saying that it's a good thing i'm just saying that it 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 has a history of having happened in this franchise before. And it definitely is like those things that keep me from putting those movies, you know, anywhere near like Mothra versus Godzilla or the original, which are my two favorites. But my last kind of complaint is, um, is Sally Hawkins getting, uh, chewed up. Um, not just because it's Sally Hawkins getting chewed up and like, it feels like this weird perfunctory death that gets absolutely no, um, like like nobody grieves over her and no one's sad. And it also kind of robs us, I think, of a great moment later in the movie when Sarazawa goes to do his, his sacrifice where you could have those two saying goodbye to each other. Like that would be such an emotional moment because we've seen these two characters for two movies now. But also because they kill her just to replace her with the exact same character except chinese gee i wonder why (laughs) i know but it's just like that's that come on well not only that time you get you get you don't just get one chinese replacement you get two one see if they wanted to bring zhang ziyi or into these i don't know how to pronounce it so whatever how to into these movies why not just bring her in as twins looking at the moth at the mothra thing why does she need to be the Sally Hawkins replacement? Not only that, but uh, yeah, like her character is like, she's like the monarch scientist moving forward. So she's also like combining the purpose of the Sarazawa character, just the conspiracy theory in me. I'm not trying to make any serious implications. However, I would like to point out that both this movie and Pacific Rim Uprising kill off an important Japanese character in the middle only to be brought uh, to be replaced by a Chinese character that serves basically the same purpose. I'm just saying it was, it was so shocking to me. And like, and I said, frustrating earlier, this is one of the most frustrating parts. And like, I I remember when I remember the run up to the 14 film, when we all had that kind of sense that, you know, there was that teaser trailer that was like so serious 
And then they started casting people like Ken Watanabe and Brian Cranston, David Strathairn, and Sally Hawkins. We're like, wow, they're this is they're really making like a real like kind of serious drama here. And and then we we saw the movie where I think a lot of us had, had a discussion about how wow Sally Hawkins was really underutilized in that film. And then heading into this one, I was like, wow, what a coup for them. They have they already had Sally Hawkins, and now. It's, we're in a post-Shape of Water world. You know, you have this Academy Award-nominated actress. Everyone loved her in that film. And then when this movie started, I was, she had more lines suddenly. And I, and I was thinking, like, yep, they, they got it. They realized, like, they should expand her role. That's cool. She's going to be, like, a bigger part. And then she's just gone. Like, you know, <laughs> half an hour in. And I was like, what? And then it happened so fast, I wasn't even... I, I knew someone got killed, and I thought it was her. But it's not exactly clear until they have that hilarious deceased screen. <laughs> um, which I don't know why that's there, but yeah, uh, yeah, that was really I just I, I it's it's Cranston all over again. You know, you have this like great person in the movie, and then you just take him out way too soon. Yeah, yeah, no. But, but... I wanted to say one last thing about not to keep harboring on the same point, but the the what Tom was saying just a moment ago too about the nuke thing and how other films have done this. This uh, this is again where I, I, it's a hard thing because I don't know how fair it is to make this observation, but. You can ha- you can use the nukes as like a plot device in silly films, right? Like heck, if I was watching like a crank film and Chev Chelo set off a nuke, I wouldn't bat an eye, you know. <laughs> but this is a franchise. I want to see that. Yeah, like that's what Crank Three should be about. He should have a nuke like sewn into his head. <laughs> <laughs> Please make that movie right now. Um, but this this MonsterVerse, it's tough because this is this film obviously tried to be sillier than the fourteen one, but at the same time. It, because it starts even uh, in the in like in the fourteen movie, and because we're still in that kind of mindset, I think there is still a level of us understanding that this is supposed this is trying to be like kind of a serious franchise to a certain degree, right? So I think Bird is right that you kind of have to actually deal with like the ramifications of that because you've kind of set yourself up to say this franchise will take these kind of big things seriously, and so when it doesn't do that, it it I don't know. I, I'm having a hard time explaining this, but even the end when they talk about, you know, the, the, the fallout of, you know, Godzilla is so irradiated at the end. And then when he kind of blows up, I was just thinking, well, okay, I guess the entire Eastern seaboard is now uninhabitable. But again, the film's probably not going to deal with that. And I kind of feel like they should. Uh, but what do I know? It's kaiju radiation. It's good stuff. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> everyone's got, everyone's cancer is cured actually. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, yeah, let's, uh, well, let's, let's, uh, who wants to start off on, on the good stuff? Uh, I'll go since I've been fairly negative. Um, so for me, the biggest positive is Sarazawa. I, I think still, I liked that character in the first film and I think, well, all my, with whatever problems I have with this film, I think he still comes out, his dignity completely intact. It's another great performance. I don't really dig the moment of how they like, you know, we've talked about our issues with the sacrifice moment, but I think it's a perfect thematic ending for that character. And I, and I do like that moment. And uh, yeah, it's, um, and it's, you know, it's that kind of thing where even though uh, it's, you're sad to see him go and I kind of wish he stuck around for the next film as well. Like it was so appropriate and Watanabe is just so fantastic in that role. Um, so yeah, I really like Sarazawa in this again. I loved that part. I mean, I, you know, it, it's it, it's definitely one of those things like that is a part of the movie that 
that kind of didn't start to become a complaint until much later because like you, I think he's awesome in the role. I think he brings like exactly everything to that role that like you want someone to, he's got just a twinge of enough of a touch of humor to make him feel like an actual person. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you know, just so much, uh, natural, um, kind of charisma but also this kind of slight awkward you know socially awkwardness to him um that would totally play for a scientist type um and and yeah i i love the idea of inverting sarazawa's uh sacrifice and and making sarazawa kill himself to save godzilla versus to destroy godzilla i i'm a little sad that it seems like that idea began and ended with that much thought put into it um but yeah it's i i really like that i think for me far and away that is one of the the best emotional moments in any of the three uh monsterverse movies we've had um the score in it really brings it home like that that whole thing that whole character his whole arc is awesome and I think even with just a little bit of dialogue of, of someone else just saying like, um, should we be doing this? And him and him, especially specifically, since he just had that moment where he tells Mark, um, sometimes we have to embrace our demons in order to move forward for him to kind of speak up and say, we don't have any other choice. We don't have any other options. We don't have any time because Ghidorah will kill us all. We can't wait. You know, just even that little bit, like you guys said, of lip service would have gone and for me made it like perfect, honestly. Um, but as it is, it, it's really good and I really like it a lot. I agree. I don't really have anything to add. But Yeah, you guys nailed that one. I think my favorite thing about this movie is just some of the spectacle. And I and Trev kind of talked about like when people think of kaiju films, they think of the man in suit. But for me, in this movie, if you're going to use CG and you nail the monsters as well as, as they did, and the spectacle of the fights and the action sequences. I mean, Rodan, like specifically that whole sequence where Rodan comes out of the volcano and the jet attack and the very brief battle with Ghidorah, like... That's one of my favorite monster anythings. My and favorite, I think my favorite scene of action is that one you just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I I think the spectacle of the monsters they really nail, and I think I mean the the shaky cam has been kind of a common complaint from some fans online, but. I actually like the people running in the foreground and the camera panning up at the monsters because when it does actually pan out the camera and they show the monsters in full frame, you get a sense of that massive scale. I love the action, love the battle sequences. Uh, I really love the intimidation scene where they're underwater and Godzilla's like, you know, his back plates are lighting up because that's like the one time I thought about Doherty directing that scene because it's very tense. It builds up. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of creeps in that little bit of horror moment where like Godzilla swims across the screen and it actually works like people jumped out of their seat in my theater. So like there's some nice touches here and there and like the um, the underwater city, Godzilla's lair, you get like that weird the, – the face pops up on the screen. Like he, he throws a couple little horror things in there, which is nice, and I, I appreciated those as well. 
I did like that. I like I, as a you know when you add little bits to the mythology or whatever the uh, what you were just talking about, Matt, the intimidation idea where he does like the the thump thing with his the lighting up his uh, his fins. But that was really cool, and it made me kind of wish we could have seen him actually do that against another kaiju and not just against them. But, Maybe yeah, yeah he briefly he does cool it he briefly it does it like in battle, but like they don't really. It's not so much in the forefront like his back his plates are lighting as he's like running towards Ghidorah but it's so quick you don't really yeah I mean, just be more like him even like not creeping up on them but just kind of like a slow kind of like you know marking his territory around them yeah that would have been cool I, I no I agree um yeah no that was a great scene um yeah just to piggyback on what Matt said about the Rodan stuff I love the whole aerial battle with him and him spinning and taking out all those planes when the one guy ejects right into his mouth I mean that that's probably my favorite of any like monster that's probably my favorite monster scene in the whole movie um I mean a lot of the monster stuff not not necessarily the cinematography um which doesn't get a little shaky for me until the la- the the very last battle um but i loved like the the idea like godzilla biting off one of the 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 ghidorah's heads um was like a huge surprise i was like huh what what yeah like, <laughs> you know their first meeting and he doesn't he's already missing a head and then i loved when he he regrew it and i like that each head kind of has a little bit of a you know a a a different spin, a different, I don't know if you want to say personality, but different traits. Um, I love you know. that the center one hated that one head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like shooting him with his yeah, it, it, what, at one point, the one head is just like staring off into space and the middle head like bites its horn and like shakes him and he's like, pay attention. Um, and then, yeah, when he regrows and like the one head like rips the little like, I don't know, like mucus membrane, whatever, off for him and the head grows back um i mean those are all just really nice touches on this character that we've seen a billion times um and uh yeah i mean i thought they 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 got the personalities right i think doherty understands mothra so well and i mean if you hear him talk about mothra and how mothra always has this sacrifice i mean he gets it um like rodan like rodan's a dick like he's always been a dick. He's a dick in this. That's Rodan. It, like I, Godzilla has a nobility to him. I think he really nailed all those. Um, I guess what you can call character traits, if you can assign these to these things. I do kind of wish. Don't you wish that Godzilla had kind of um, acknowledged Mothra a little bit more in the final? Like when Mothra shows up, they don't really have that moment, and I was yeah. kind of waiting for. Especially since they kind of. I know I've been joking around a lot about, it, and I've seen now the fans for sure are because Matt's been showing some drawings. But I <laughs> joked about how this movie seems to insinuate that they're like a couple. Um, and yes, I don't really think that's what the movie's saying, but it certainly comes across that way uh, enough to joke about. But so, but when Mothra shows up in the, the final battle, I was just surprised it didn't have a moment where. Godzilla kind of like you know gives her a nod or something. Yeah, especially with how much I mean with how much personality they they imbue Godzilla with in this movie, and that is that is genuinely one of my favorite things. Uh, I mentioned it you know in my initial impressions, but I just I love Godzilla. You know, has so many different facial expressions, and he reacts to things with body language and stuff. you know what one of my I favorite shots? Oh, go ahead, Tom. Sorry. Oh, I was just, I was just gonna say, you, go ahead, because I'll I'll. Well, you know what one of my favorite shots is. I don't know if you guys liked it as much as I I did, but I love after he gets after the nuke like kind of revives him and he comes out of the water, 
and they have that moment where he kind of is standing there and then he notices the people on the submarine and they do that like kind of camera move where like pans in on his face really quick as he turns and sees them it's just such a great little like kind of like uh I, obviously it's just a cgi shot but it feels so real like the, the the camera movement there and how it zooms in on his face as he sees them is great it's just a little thing but it felt like documentary-esque almost yeah and that's that's like almost kind of where i was going with this a little bit it's just i know he's a cg creature i don't know how much of the things that i liked about him in this movie to credit to tj storm uh the motion cap actor who who did the mocap for this because there's a lot of body language and a lot of personality and things like that that godzilla has in this movie that make me think like tj storm might have actually brought a lot to the table and done a done a really good job with with some of the mocap stuff and I mean that's that's probably also Doherty kind of directing him in that too, and it's I'm sure e- easier to do mocap and bring personality to something than it is to do it in a suit. But I think T.J. Storm did a really good job of bringing Godzilla to life. I think that that was done yeah, really, I think really well. I think they've done a good job kind of finding this Godzilla because you know it's you know it's not the godzilla friend all children you know he's not like protecting us and he's like i'll be your best friend he really does come across like oh god i'll fine i'll i'll do this again and you know i'll save the world but it's just he just seems like he's so like he would just rather be sleeping you know and it's like a, it's like a <laughs> hassle for him to have to do this and i kind of like that take on i him. just can't wait to see like the behind the scenes stuff with the mocap guys like well we interviewed uh one of the Ghidorah heads alan maxson and he said like doherty like he literally like just like taped tape them together together, (laughs) pretty much um i i i can't say enough good about Ghidorah in this um i know it's funny because um our our other buddy uh tom also uh saucy um or as listeners may know him from back in the days of the second run podcast uh the source um he came out of the movie like loving Mothra and Rodan, and I've I've seen that kind of come up a lot. And I guess just for me, having had expected more from them, um, and most of that was just from Doherty's interviews. So it's 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 more on me than it is on you know the movie. Um, I I came up, came out not like hating them or anything like that, but like I was blown away by. Ghidorah in this movie um I just I thought like like you guys mentioned the the personalities the three diff- three heads having different personalities one of my favorite favorite moments from Ghidorah in this movie is right at the very end um when he realizes that Godzilla has the upper hand um he has this like sort of reaction that you can actually read in in the body language and in the facial expressions that is fear and anger um, where he's like terrified that he's just gotten his wings blown off by fire, but he's going to try and do his last, you know, bolts of electricity to, to try him. Cause he's, he, I'm not supposed to be being beaten. What the hell is going on? And he's scared and he's mad about it. I think that reaction shot is awesome. And I, I really liked him in this movie a ton. Um, yeah, and behemoth. Yeah, well, we'll get to we'll we'll touch on the the new guys in a in a couple minutes. Um, I will say I think the only one that was really robbed any a real set piece or real like 
really like standout moment i mean i guess the sacrifice if you have to point to anything is mothra i think mothra's best set piece is the hat when when she hatches and the caterpillar is like like shooting guys into the wall and stuff but i mean you i don't know i want i want a little more from the adult mothra i guess it's a lot like the gmk mothra it's just kind of like it's there it sacrifices itself and she she clowns rodan though i thought that was pretty fun yeah, well, yeah. Well, and Rodan, he deserves to get clowned. Well, that's what I mean. That's why I think, like, even even the sacrifice, I think, would have played better if there was a, at least a, a a singular moment between Godzilla and Mothra first. It's weird in the in the making of book. There's a whole like there's a paragraph in a, an interview with uh, Millie Bobby Brown about like what was the hardest scene to do, and she said the most emotional scene she had to do was like. Um, reacting to mothra's sacrifice and like sobbing and crying because like she sees mothra get killed but like that's not in that's, the- <laughs> yeah it, that must have been cut i mean i would love for yeah. to have a moment like that but i it, it had to have been cut just like um there was a scene where they built a practical Ghidorah tooth um and uh like it's in some of the wreckage or something and that got taken out and uh, they built f- uh, practical Godzilla skin for Sarazawa to touch. That was replaced with CGI. Like none of the practical effects made it into the movie, of course. Um, how did you? But why would Why would Millie Bobby Brown even see the sacrifice? Isn't she like unconscious in a bathtub at that point? Yeah, unless they like re-edited the sequence of events or something. I don't know. Whatever it was, it's not there. Maybe it'll show up on the <laughs> the Blu-ray indestructible whatever, bathtub. But, yeah, <laughs> right. It's like the Indiana Jones. Uh, uh, refrigerator. <laughs> um, obviously, it was fan service. But how did you guys feel about the usage of burning the burning Godzilla? I was fine with it. I, yeah, I, I like it. Yeah, it was it was cool. Yeah, I, it's I liked it. I I it never occurred to me like I guess I always kind of figured like he would be okay. But I, it is interesting to hear Trev think like, oh, they might actually go full meltdown with this. Um, yeah, I really did. I really thought it. I loved the way that they showed like the his environment reacting to him. That just like yeah, walking that was, that was my favorite part. Walking next to a building will like melt it. I thought that yeah. was really awesome. When that when that scene first started, I was like, "Holy shit!" That's <laughs> the, I, I love that particular moment. I do think he looks like uh, a bit like a Dorito too much. Like I wish they would have toned down some of the orange, but you know. All right, now you're just being weird. Um. <laughs> I'm good for that, bro. Every, once, once or twice an episode, I'm good for that. Um, I don't know. Tom kind of opened it a minute ago, and th- we might start be getting too nerdy for Trev. Uh, but we are introduced to some new titans, some brand new monsters, because <laughs> Toho, they ain't going to sell those monster rights uh, for a dollar, if you know what I'm saying. Um, so we are introduced to... I guess, uh, well, we see a lot of names, some of which are fun. One of them's Mokili Mamembe, which for our cryptozoology uh, followers out there, that is the Brontosaurus in the African Congo. Uh, don't ask me why people ever thought there was a Brontosaurus there, but uh, there is or isn't. Anyway, um, but yes, we're introduced to a lot of new monsters, four of whom we see. We have the Woolly Mammoth Gorilla Hybrid Behemoth. 
We have uh, the mountain kaiju who, like, it turns out this mountain was just his back the whole time. Methuselah, I believe. Uh, we have a spider Cthulhu squid hybrid thing. Sila, Sila, one of those. And uh, we have a new Muto that is, like, a little bigger and has, like, more legs. Um, and those are the only ones we actually get to see. Uh, I know uh, most of the new Titans are named after uh, creatures in the Bible or Greek mythology or certain other um, religious lore. Um, but we we see them. Like I said, a lot of it is in uh, Destroy All Monsters-esque TV screen in the background kind of thing. Um, but how how did how did you guys like what little we got to see of of those creatures? I mean, would have loved more, but they were they were fun. They were cool. I'm all about kids, the uh, the Sila. Yeah, the spider. Kids in one of my screenings, and I can't remember if it was the one I took my kids to or the one um, right before that uh, that I went to just to make sure my kids wouldn't, you know, uh, soil themselves. Um, thought it was Kumanga, um, and I I thought of it as a reference to that just like with a very different like middle um to make it not be that so that they didn't have to pay toho um and so i thought that was like effective um and then i'm always really drawn to any uh any any sort of design that really looks like it can be executed as a man in a suit, which is why um, in Pacific Rim, one of my favorites was actually Leatherback. Um, as as kind of simple as the the design was, it, it felt very man in suit. Um, Behemoth feels like something that could have could have at some point maybe been uh, in a Toho movie or something. He was my as a favorite one. Suit. I like Is that when the mammoth one. Yeah, yeah. I like when they're showing like their attacks and like he just like turns around and his tusks like <laughs> just take out a whole building. When they so when they first showed him, um, it was so quick and uh, maybe I just wasn't paying attention or whatever. But your first glance at him, I thought he was just a woolly mammoth, and I even in my head I was like had that brief you know that where you're thinking things really quick, and I was like, well, that's kind of lazy that there's just like a woolly mammoth. And then when I got a better look at him and saw like the just kind of this like hybrid thing, yeah, I think he was the, the coolest yeah. one. Like he like he has arms that he yeah. walks on like, like an ape, and he has no trunk. Which yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think I know. I think like towards the end of the movie when we see him again, I think I picked up on that. I don't. I don't think I really was able to piece it together when they first kind of reveal those those monsters. I was actually kind of bummed. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but I was kind of bummed that they had a mudo in there just it reminded me of how much i didn't like the mudo <laughs> boring i found <laughs> well it's also weird that like you came up with all these new monster names and you clearly put thought into like the folklore you're pulling from like why not just do a new monster this is kind of strange i mean i mean it's a new it's a it looks different from the ones we saw before but eh, whatever i liked seeing them come back um Maybe this one's the good, you know, maybe this is like the good Mudo, you know? And learning that their faces are genitalia. (laughs) This is like the, uh, this Mudo is going to be like the the Terminator 2 Mudo, you know, like the good one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know, uh, I know, I know, I know it was just a joke, but like, 
I got to throw it out there on your podcast that um, we officially have kaiju genitalia appearing in a, in a movie in 2014. Yeah, I don't uh, know where it is, because that's like the part where they like connect heads. Did they? It's their faces. Their faces are their genitals. Um, so God, so that happens um, later, earlier in the movie, or yeah, earlier in the movie when they come across the the male's um, saliva. That's actually um, sperm semen. Um, um, that's now canon. Well, the um, joke I remember the there and was... Godzilla sexually assaults the female to death. So um, that's that's Godzilla lore now. Well, I remember stop giving all those people that write terrible Godzilla fan fiction ideas, Tom, because that's going to happen. Well, I remember like the joke after the 2014 one was like when the one gives the missile to the other one and like uh, and it like goes away. Like the joke was like that it uses a missile as a dildo. But I guess now it can like it might be true. Um. I will say, uh, speaking of the 2014 movie, I know just on this call alone, there's very mixed kind of opinions about it. I will say of all the MonsterVerse movies, I think in terms of just directing, I think it's the best directed. I think Skull Island and this one are, I mean, they're decently directed, but they're a little workmanlike. But having just watched the 2014 movie, I mean, say what you will about the script, the the characters, whatever, I really feel like Gareth Edwards... You just, can tell it's his movie. He sure. directed the hell out of that movie. He, yeah, the way he frame yeah. shots and stuff is... I will say I, I am glad that, for the most part, Dory kept Edwards the Edwards approach of, like, shooting a lot of the action from the ground level. In the dark? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Trev, what was your... Th- with the kaiju fights, I know that was something that was a little bit more of a letdown for you. What exactly was it that wasn't clicking? I don't know. Was I guess it the like, rain, it, the dark? Uh... Yeah, well, yeah, that's a big part of it. I mean, I, I get, like, you know, we were walking out, I was talking about it, you brought up the point, yes, I know, I I understand that the reason you do this is that you set the scenes in the dark and the rain, it can help you hide the CGI. But my, my argument to that is it's 2019. We yeah. shouldn't have to hide the CGI anymore. We well, have Skull Island CGI. had And yeah, lot, Skull yeah. Island had all, almost all of its fights in the day. And like, and maybe those didn't look as photorealistic as ones in this, but this is a franchise that's got by for a pretty long time with the fans being okay with, you know, not uh, 100% photorealistic effects. So I would rather have slightly worse cgi in the day uh than great cgi where it's kind of still hard to see because it's all dark and you know rainy and cloudy um so that's part of it and then i just i there wasn't a lot of like choreography to the fights that Mm. i found really compelling like i i i've only seen it once because i'm a normal person Um, I can't because I haven't seen it three times. Um, I can't remember right now any like. Honestly, if you ask me to remember like particular moments from any of the fights, the only thing I can remember because I thought this was kind of cool is when Mothra like blasts uh, their uh, Ghidorah's heads against the building with the the webbing, and they have to kind of get out of that. That's the only thing I remember from like a fight. Uh, Nothing else like stuck out to me as memorable. So sorry, I disagree, but fair. I, I thought the kaiju stuff was... I liked it, for the most part. The but, editing uh, in the last battle was what kind of... That threw me off a little bit. 
but but I'll throw another positive out because um, we're talking about fan servicey things and like the good fan service and bad fan service. Um, and that made me think of the good fan service in terms of the the Godzilla theme actually popping up, which I liked. Well, yeah, the score into in general the score is awesome. yeah the score was good. Great. I mean, Bear yeah. McCrary. At this point, he has to be the only one still trying on The Walking Dead, right? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, I mean, he rarely disappoints. And, yeah, I really liked he reused the Ifukube themes and the Mothra theme. Mothra's theme is um, awesome. I love his his reinterpretation of the Mothra theme the most. But yeah, I mean, me too. And he and they used it like they didn't overuse it. Like they used it at like the right moments. Yeah, I really thought that too. Um, First of all, like you said, it's definitely my favorite one. Um, And I think that's just because I I really feel like his his Godzilla theme is... It doesn't sound different enough from Ifukube for me. You know, like, it just sounds like the theme, which I don't have a problem with. (laughs) Um, But... But it doesn't have like a a McCreary kind of spin to it at all. I thought the Mothra theme has that more, and I thought it was like a little more subtle where it was used. Um, and like the first time I heard it, it kind of slowly rises in, and and then it's there, and you're like, oh, that's that's really like it's really cool. It, it works really really well. And the theme, then the score in general. Um, there's some really great great uh pieces on that score um you know specifically i think the the when sarazawa kind of makes the decision to sacrifice himself there's some really good music there um i really like the music when uh at the end of the movie when they're all bowing to him i think that that piece works really well for that moment too so that, yeah there's some great stuff in this score which um is a first in this franchise i think you know i'm Displot or whatever the frig he had like a good Godzilla theme, but the rest of the score is is a butt and uh, and the Skull Island score is like one of the most unmemorable. Just I don't like anything about it, I don't at either. All. <laughs> <laughs> at all. Yeah, yeah. I honestly feel like in general, I mean, I, we talk about him because we're like the nerdiest of the nerds, but I feel like in general, Bear McCreary just doesn't get talked about enough when we. Do you talk about film composers at this yeah. point? Because I was just thinking about what Bird said about how he's the only person who tries on Walking Dead, and like, uh, so another example is I watch Agents of Shield. And I understand that you know a lot of people don't watch that, and I'm in a minority there. But uh, whatever you think about that show, and I, I do think it's gotten better, but he still scores that show, and every week I watch it, and he's coming up with like amazing bits of music even for that. And I'm thinking like, this is a guy that's always working like 18 projects. And he could like take it easy on Agents of Shield, you know. But he he like is like creating great music even for that. And then I think he's just had the unfortunate not unfortunate, but he does like a lot of smaller films usually. Yeah, um, he did Colossal too. These, yeah, he doesn't do these big blockbusters as much. But man, he should because his themes are great. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, where I guess I mean as we wind down. Uh, I guess we can talk about the credits and the post-credits scene. Um, where are we on that? I mean, I was definitely expecting m- something more Kong-centric. And then, like, Me too. the post-credits scene just threw this wild curveball that was like, okay, Godzilla vs. Kong is not going to be whatever I thought it was going to be <laughs> before this. Oh, it's... Uh, one of the things I was... I was 
taken aback by, but also pleasantly, very pleasantly by this movie as a whole is how bonkers it is. You know, it's we're embracing insanity at this point. You know, you've got underground bases and sci-fi technology and people dissecting muto heads and like we're 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 off the rails and and i love that because that's i mean my favorites are like the 70s movies so um i i like final wars um so so i i love just like let's just go like crazy and then the post credit scene happened in this and i was like is the next movie going to be even crazier? I mean, it could. We could get it a, has a to Ghidorah be. clone, Mecha Ghidorah. I thought of. I mean, even if you remember, like the opening scene of um, Godzilla. That was versus, my first thought. Yeah, the opening scene of Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla when there's like the Mecha Ghidorah head. Like it's almost framed exactly the same. Um, I mean. But it could go. It could go insane. I mean, it's it's clearly not just going to be Godzilla and Kong at this point. Um, I mean, I think my first thought was Mecha Ghidorah, and yeah. I was like, "That's that's just batshit insane." I never, never thought we'd get a Mecha in in these movies, and and it definitely well, seems like we're primed. And for then that. I know well, if you were going to have a Mecha, it's weird that it would not be Mecha Godzilla, right? Yeah, that's what I because like when Bird said, like I went into this when when Bird told me there's a post credit scene in my head, I was thinking it's going to be one of two things. You know, like you said, it's either going to be a, t- a total Kong tease, or I was like, oh, they're going to show someone, and I, I, it, it, the scene like just formed in my head. I was like, they're going to show someone working on something, and the camera's going to pan back, and you're going to see blueprints for Mecha Godzilla. And in my head, I started to get very excited. Well, <laughs> it's, I, you know, uh, well, it is, I, it's po- I, it's possible we could get a Mecha something because, um, and Doherty said like this was left there to reward people that pay attention going into the next one, you know how at the end there's all the different newspaper clippings, which already have a lot of things. Like, they have um, the discovery of another Mothra egg in there. They have uh, Rodan is alive and well, and he's... Mount Fuji. Yeah, he's in Mount Fuji or something. Um, but then, like, one of the... In, in some of the... One of the articles, it says that there's... Uh, Monarch is working on a mechanized giant on Skull Island. So we could be getting Mecha Godzilla, um, or I mean, th- throw this out there. Unlikely, but we could be getting Mechanic Kong. Make it happen. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, 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 there's some really interesting and unpredictable territory they could get into that I think is exciting. Um, what if it's just that Charles Dance is going to use the DNA to make himself into a Charles Dance Ghidorah hybrid, and it's going to be <laughs> Charles Dance with three heads in the next movie? <laughs> Ghidorah with three Charles Dance heads? Um, <laughs> some other cool uh, Easter eggs to point out. Um, the newspaper clippings are from um, the same newspaper that Raymond Burr worked for in the American version of Godzilla. Um and uh, one of the articles is even written by Steve Martin. Um, I was just about to say, that's an Easter egg that, man, if they had the money, they should have thrown a bunch of money at Steve, at Steve Martin <laughs> uh, to come in and play a reporter in one scene. He should play a reporter. inside joke of all time. He should yeah, play a reporter named, named Ray, yeah, Raymond Burr. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's stuff like that. Um, 
Now, the original post-credit scene that I guess they didn't shoot before they decided on the Charles Dance one was... Uh, I got the impression that this wasn't, a, like, original. I got the impression that this movie originally intended to have a mid and post credit okay. scene. Well, no, I, that's what I took. Too. Well, there was a coda scene where we meet up with both Zhang Zs and um, they go underneath this, I guess uh, they're in China and they're, they go under this like labyrinthian staircase behind a, like, a restaurant that I guess is just like a front or whatever. And they go into like a Mothra temple and there's two young girls, which is the daughter of one of them. And they're singing to the other Mothra egg. Um, I guess that's kind of a bit of fan service. We didn't talk about is it turns out that uh, her, she's like they're twins in a generation of twins who have um, kind of, uh, been keeping up with Mothra, worshipped Mothra. Um, they even say that, you know, they originally discovered Mothra on Infant Island, which is where Mothra is from in the 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 Godzilla story, any version of the Godzilla story, almost. Um, which, I don't know, I mean, I guess I would have been fine with that, but it definitely makes me feel like we're going to be seeing Mothra next time again, too. Yeah, and they kept Rodan alive, so like there's a lot of possibilities for for all kinds of craziness to happen next movie i wanted to mention another like inside joke is uh boston uh the baseball stadium in boston has the big green monster as like the main um field if you hit a home run over and obviously Ghidorah destroys it because you get it he destroyed the big green monster oh uh uh-huh. i got it, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> all the out all the kaiju outposts are named after like relevant years rodan's is 56 which is when the movie rodan came out mothra 61 um uh kong uh the skull island one is 33 um Ghidorah mm-hmm. is 32 which is in antarctica anyone know what that is a reference to the thing because Woo-hoo. they're at they're at 31 and he regrows his head in a very thingy and kind of way. Yeah. So, so um, my uh, my last potential theory on, on I like the theory, Tom. The one we talked about is uh, is Charles Charles Dance has been using the the DNA. They don't really get into what for. Um, my last this is a potential theory. I do feel the more we've kind of talked about it, the more we're headed towards. Some kind of mecha something, which is just batshit insane and awesome, but let's go for it at this point. But um, in King Kong versus Godzilla in, you know, 1964, 63, sorry, um, King Kong has random lightning powers. It's 62, um, by the way. Oh, <laughs> eh, what, whatever. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about these bullshit movies. <laughs> well, clearly nobody um, went to see this one. Yeah, <laughs> um, he has these lightning powers, right? So um, Charles Dance uses the DNA from Ghidorah, uh, injects it into Kong, and there's Kong with your lightning powers. Um, I'm picturing a full-blown Kong heel turn, something where the DNA of Ghidorah takes over his brain and causes him to go insane. Um, that would also potentially lead to Godzilla then winning, um, which would, you know, pacify the fan base who will eat itself alive if Kong wins. Oh my God, the meltdown would be, which is why I'm pulling for that so hard. (laughs) Um, 
But but yeah, that's that's what I'm picturing. Uh, so I know Wingard has said that there's definitely going to be a winner. But is there anyone honestly here who doesn't believe that they're going to fight for a while and then team up against something else at the end? No, so is, I yeah, is I don't. There really, exactly any fan in the world happen. who doesn't understand that the tagline is even one will fall, which already is they missed a grand opportunity. It should have been let them fight, but whatever. Um, some more fun uh, trivia. Um, so we have the G team, which is like the soldiers uh, that hang out with Monarch. Uh, we have Lieutenant Botine, named after Rob Botine, the special effects uh, artist. One of them is Winston, named after Stan Winston. Baker, named after Rick Baker. Tippett, named after Phil Tippett. And then, uh, well-intentioned, but uh, we have G team officer Harryhausen, um, who that guy hated Godzilla movies, so I don't... Um... <laughs> <laughs> um uh, and then, oh yeah, also I, we should mention the, the Bano and Nakajima dedication at the end was, was nice too. Oh yeah, yeah, I, uh, I was surprised that, to see that at the end, the first time I saw it, I thought that was awesome. Although Bano didn't get a picture, which is strange. I mean, maybe he was ugly. <laughs> um... Uh, the Argo, named after the ship in Jason and the Argonauts. I don't know. There's a lot of nerdy little things like that. Um, the Orca, of course, named after the classic film Orca. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and Godzilla, uh, in Godzilla's house that they blow up, he also has a, a Pazuzu statue from The Exorcist. Makes me wonder what other priceless Exorcist memorabilia of his they destroyed. Nude, nude pictures of Linda Blair. <laughs> <laughs> Those aren't hard to find. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and of course, Doherty said that we should be paying attention to or thinking about the flies that are buzzing around uh, Ghidorah's head at the end, which I uh, taking to mean is a reference to Godzilla versus Mechagirus, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, yes, I know that's I know that's your dream. Uh, <laughs> well, I know Tom and I at least are. I mean, it's not going to happen because I don't know how much they're th- they thought about it. But uh, to bring about some ramification of detonating an oxygen destroyer like an idiot, uh, I mean, Destroya showing up. Who knows though? I mean, I I think that would make sense and make it feel like that scene mattered. But what if they make everyone disappear up their own butthole in the end of the next movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, I know Tom because you're not a fan of Godzilla versus Destroya, uh, but you you said like I never thought I'd be begging someone to use to dis- bring Destroya back. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I mean a hundred percent. Like I have no real problems with the monster or the design, but I definitely think he's like goofy. Um, he's just so he's so over designed and huge. That, like, whenever fans were calling for him to be in another Toho movie, I was like, dear God, no. Because, like, he's so bulky. Like, that thing can't even move. Well, I mean, um, hey, if, if they hit him up for Godzilla vs. Kong, maybe they get him on a treadmill. They get him, yeah, yeah. you know, get him all slim. But, but yeah, I, here I am, and, and, like, yeah, I want Destroyer to... Thematically, so, yeah. it would make so much sense, but... Clearly, I mean, as much as I like Doherty and Wingard and all these guys, I, I like these guys. As much as I like them, I don't know how much they're thinking about what's thematically proper. No, they're not. 
All right. Well, I guess we can wind down. I mean, we covered all the bases. This is a huge movie. Uh, years I didn't of in- talk about how stupid I thought Kyle Chandler was. <laughs> well, yeah, your frustration was that he's just he's brought on to advise about the orca, and then everyone just does everything he says. He, he fixes just, all the he, problems. He was, uh, yeah, he was a uh, white guy that's always right about everything. You I called agree. him the John Agar. Of we this call that John movie. Agar. This yeah. Movie. yeah, so he's just a, he's just like a white guy. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how much of a role he'll have in the next one, but um, um, it was it was that the the man the orca thing. I had to really like. And I, that's I really don't at all blame Trev or anyone who calls it out because it's not it's not like good. It's not done well, for sure. Um, I had to really kind of pay attention the second time I saw this movie of like, do they even pay off his whole purpose for coming with them? And they do. But it's also unnecessary because like all the monsters are going to Boston. So maybe start looking there. <laughs> you know, like they, um, they do end up paying paying it off that that uh, he solves the puzzle and he can then pinpoint that it's at Fenway Park and everything. But like, yeah. Hey, why um, does Madison just go home? Like in the middle, like why did she do where that? Else is she gonna go? Anywhere, somewhere safe. <laughs> the bathtub, like dude. That's. The- <laughs> Place it's safe. Well, it's funny because someone just like says home, and then they're like, oh, "Home, of course she would go home." And then I thought for sure that meant like, "Oh, she's good. she." They know she ran home because there's probably like they have a bunker there or something. I mean, they worked for Monarch. No, I will she say, just got a tub. like she could have done that anywhere. I will say, I I do agree with uh, Ice Cube Junior's character that Emma and Mark are probably the worst parents ever. <laughs> um. But, uh, okay, well, um, no, big movie, years of anticipation, so this had to be a long, a longer review. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, and who would have thought that this movie would, ca- like, that this movie, as stupid as, as stupid as it is, even with the problems that it has would cause this fandom to, like, start eating itself alive. <laughs> well, here's the thing, and uh, the the common knee-jerk reaction to a lot of the more negative reviews, and, I mean, I, I think we've all seen it come out in a lot of memes over the last few days, is I don't need or want good human drama in my Godzilla movies, and I profoundly disagree. I mean... Ultimately, I do look at kaiju movies the same way as I would look at like a slasher film. Like, are are is the horror the act the 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 kills awesome? I mean, yeah, that's what I go to. But the best slasher movies are the ones with good characters, good human story. And if you look at my top my top five Godzilla movies, four of the five have pretty minimal monster stuff. Um, yeah, it either needs a good human story or it needs to be sillier than this movie is, I mm-hmm. think. That's a fair yeah. point. Yeah. It, it, but, I mean, I just, I ha- I'm hating those arguments. I'm hating those memes. It's such a lazy kind of. I mean, I get it. Uh, a lot of our favorite Godzilla movies, like one of my favorites is Godzilla vs. Mecha Godzilla. But that movie is. It's brain dead. It's dumb. That's part of the oh, fun. Oh, yeah. They say, they say space titanium four times. 
And then they say Mechagodzilla is being controlled by spacemen. The space metal is the evidence. That's yeah. a line in the movie. And but well, I, well, and that's my point. I mean, I love that movie as much as any other fan. Uh, and it's, I mean, this movie's no smarter than that. But we also have to admit, like. I think this fandom needs to come to peace with the fact, and I say this as loving as possible, with even some affection, The this franchise, and, I mean, it's, 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 uh, nonsense kiddie movies for kids to get them to buy toys, and, I mean, that's what this franchise has been since the 60s, with a couple exceptions here and there. And the sooner you make peace with that, the sooner you can really be open and accepting of the that these aren't really, like, they're not super deep films, aside from, I mean, I think Honda's movies are beautiful, I think Kaneko's movies are great, uh, but, I mean, those are exceptions to the rule when we're 35 movies in, and... Uh, I mean, that's just kind of the place that this franchise has in pop culture. It's silly stuff. The key market is kids and adolescents. And there's a difference between a really good Godzilla movie and a really good movie. And a critic's job is not to tell you that something's a good Godzilla movie. It's telling you, hey, do you want to spend... 20 bucks on a movie ticket, 20 more bucks to hire a babysitter, uh, and find over two hours of your life to set aside to go to the movies when you're already overworked uh, and not getting enough sleep. That's their job. I'll take it a step further, too. Um, If you disagree with someone's opinion about something, um, at most, attack the opinion at most poke holes in the opinion um the best case is to instead of attacking anything just uh talk about why you liked it uh what worked for you um and state your positive opinion um absolutely do not attack the person um not only have people been doing that to critics, I've seen that being done to fans who have said they don't like it. I saw a post on Facebook that said, oh, I just saw the movie. I walked out. I was pretty disappointed, honestly. What were your thoughts? And the the top four comments were, just go kill yourself. Um, that's. <laughs> I saw another one that the response was... Um, if you don't like this movie, you don't know how to watch kaiju movies. And then the guy was like, I've been watching these movies for over 20 years. Like, I know <laughs> I know how to watch a kaiju movie. Yeah, but. like, just be celebrate what you like. Don't try and tear people down for what they don't. You know, like, uh, just just stop being shits to each other. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that's a good note to go out on. I mean, I love this movie the way I would love a Friday the 13th movie. You know, it's it's junk cinema that is fun and leaves you feeling good. But, I mean, I think we did a good job of giving a critical analysis that was balanced. Um, and hopefully, like, that doesn't make anyone want us to 
killed. So, uh, mm. but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just let's be honest that. If Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 74 came out now, I mean, people would be like, what? what is this? This is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, but I love it. And, I mean, I go to these movies as it's a comfort food. It's cinema comfort. You know, I know where to go for truly good, like, drama, even within science fiction and horror. And I go to kaiju movies because... They're fun, and they bring back, you know, that little bit of fuzzy, you know, sitting at home in front of the tube TV, watching VHS tapes feel. And this movie did that great. That's why I go. But, I mean, don't, but don't condescend critics, and don't put out condescending memes about how, I just, who needs the story? I mean, like I said, my, my top five Godzilla movies, almost all of them have barely any monster action like terror of mechagodzilla monster zero i mean those are all very heavy on human story that's a fact jack so um how many uh irresponsible uses of an oxygen destroyer do you give this out of five I'll go first. Uh, I love the crap out of this movie. It's got a lot of problems, which we chronicled pretty thoroughly tonight. But it's also like the most fun behind maybe like for me, Avengers. Uh, I've had in the theater this year. And so uh, I'm going to go four out of five. Now, that is surely like putting on my Godzilla blinders on, being a fan, loving all the stuff that I loved about it and kind of ignoring the bad stuff that I know is there and just enjoying a popcorn flick. But for what it is, like, it was four out of five. I loved watching with my family. My son got a kick out of it. Um, I think it gives enough spectacle to where it's, it's just it's a really awesome, fun movie. And that score could obviously go down upon further rewatches, but I'm on this kind of Godzilla high right now, and that's where I landed. Um, well, I guess I'll go next. My biggest... My biggest issues aren't even the sloppiness of the screenplay or the how thin the characters are. For me, and if you look at my favorite Godzilla movies, um, like I, I ranked all mine on Letterboxd and stuff, but um, the reason this one falls more in the middle is that I think that just thematically it really fumbles the ball and there's a lot of really tone-deaf stuff in it. Um, that being said, the kaiju stuff itself kind of gave me everything I would want outside of practical special effects so um and that stuff really delivered for me um and uh it's something that i think uh is just a really good time and uh it it gave me more fuzzy warm feelings than bad feelings um and i know in my heart of hearts that this is probably a little too high of a score, but just, like, the high that this movie has sent me out on both times has been really strong. So, as of right now, I'm going to give it a three and a half. Um, I think out of the 35 movies, this landed somewhere as, like, 17 or something when I ranked the entire series, and, uh, I mean, that'll waver, you know, on repeat viewings. Um, uh, it probably deserves closer to a three in my eyes um but for me it's a three and a half if if they didn't fumble so bad on some of the thematic stuff and we had some more connective tissue uh with the characters and me and the audience 
it would have been a four, but it's it's a three and a half right now. So, um, one of you guys, final thoughts. I'll go. I'll let Tom finish it up. Um, so I'm sure people are expecting me to come in here and say like a one or something, but I'm not. I'm not that mean, and I'm not that down on it, uh, despite what I might have sounded like earlier. But so to me, like something like a three out of five, I kind of always treat this somewhat average. Like it's fine, but I, you know, you might not revisit it. And with this movie, I'm kind of torn between a 2.5 and a 3. I feel like a 3 is like almost a little too high, but 2.5 also seems a little too harsh because despite all my complaints, I, I do think, you know, it's not the worst time in the theater. It, it is there, it is fun to a certain degree. And in the moment as you're watching it, if you can kind of turn your brain off a little bit, you know, you can get a, you can get along with the vibe of this film. So I'll kind of settle in the middle and say like 2.75 if that's allowed. Uh and just say like, yeah, I think as a as a casual Godzilla fan, and someone who's like Godzilla blinders maybe aren't as thick as uh, Matt's are. I just don't know that this is a, I, I this I would never grab this off the shelf as the Godzilla film I'm in the mood to watch. And I think that's what ultimately takes it down for me. I think it doesn't do anything special or unique enough to to elevate it any higher. So that's where I fall. Now I'll, I'll I'll finish it out here. Um, I'll admit um, some recency bias on this on this rating, right? Uh, I think I think to a certain extent we all have that. I mean, if you remember in the 2014 movie, God, I think when that came out, I had it at like eighth in my rankings. I had it at like a four out of five. And now it's like sixteen, three and a half, um, and that's also one of those like. That even might be high, but because the movie, that's one of those movies, the more I think about it and talk about it, the more I start to have problems with it. And that's kind of where I am with this one. But when I watch that movie, I can't help but get kind of swept up in it. Um, And that's kind of how I feel about this one, too. Um, but then you add in some of the recency bias, um, the, the, the fact that like the second time I saw this, I felt so much more kind of prepared and I just let it wash over me and I had a way more enjoyable time with it. And I liked it the first time, the second time I, I kind of loved it. Um, also that I, I got to see this, um, I never ever in my life thought I would get to take my two kids to see a brand new Godzilla movie in a theater Um, to be able to do that is a, is a hell of a memory that quite honestly, I I don't know if I'll ever be able to separate from this movie. Just like I can't separate, you know, sea monster as the first one I ever saw. And so that'll never go low on my list Um, or my rankings, you know? Um, So where I have this one, I have it at my 10th, right now i could see it slipping but but i have it as a four out of five um i think it's a really really fun time um the the things that it mucks up um the only ones that bother me in the moment in the movie while watching it are the oxygen destroyer and sally hawkins um and the sally hawkins one is 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 even that is a little bit more of just like uh Oh, damn you, China, you know, not so much damn you movie. Um, the Oxygen Destroyer, though, is a big one. Um, I'm at a four out of five. I think it's a, a f- super fun time. Um, it's it's uh, it's the good version of Final Wars or it's uh, a 
the twist on, or you know, it's very similar to Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. So, um, yeah, that's that's Doherty said his uh, his like one of his main influences was Godzilla versus Final Wars. I actually think that kind of the more I've thought about it, it shines through. And um, I don't know, I I just have too much fun with it to hate it, uh, and I kind of love it. So bring on your gods bring on your mecha gidra who's going to be shooting nukes out of the tips of his tails <laughs> and nuking the world and, and everything's fine at the end <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh i think that was exhaustive uh this is a- <laughs> you know that sorry really quick you know that's you know that scene in the original um King Kong versus Godzilla, where he shoves the tree down his throat. That's going to be a nuke in the new one. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, we're wrapping up what might be our longest or one of our longest episodes. Uh, A lot to cover here, but um, all right. I think we're you guys good. Yep. All right. Yep. Good night, everybody.